For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. free speech to free minds you're listening to the david knight show as the clock strikes 13 it's thursday the 11th of november year of our lord 2021 day 605 of the emergency Today we're going to take a look at the convergence of uh, amazing testimony of uh, a Republican congressman talking to some pro-abortion people, trying to get them to explain whether or not they're killing a living being. And at the same time, we have the state of Illinois removing laws that would, were put in place to stop people from being forced to do abortions. They're removing that so that people can be forced to take products based upon abortions. It all ties together with parental rights and with everything else that is happening in this country to remove the moral foundations as we see this country collapsing in a pile of excrement. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I was going to begin today by talking about the kitty pricks, uh, and I'm not just talking about the vaccines. I'm talking about the people who are pushing this on the kids. But it really is a confluence of a lot of different things. The destruction of the family, the removing of fathers, the removal of parental rights, the contempt for our right to life, the contempt for life itself. And all this flows from a contempt for God, for the Christian values that created this country. There's a very interesting article on the Federalist, and, th and this is all tied together with what is happening with the vaccines. And a lot of parents are rightfully concerned that the vaccines will be forced eventually on their kids, as we have seen that happen with the MMR vaccines. Oh, you got to take the, take the shot. It's going around. That was to remove our religious exemptions, our medical exemptions for our children, and to remove parents out of the equation. Understand that as well. And we see the same thing happening with what they're being taught in school, how they're being sexually groomed by the Sodom and Gomorrah crowd. But I want to talk about whether or not they want to license parents, for example. This is an editorial from The Federalist, and the author 
points out that, uh, yeah, this may sound like it's pretty fringy, but, you know, it was just a couple of years ago that so much of the stuff that is happening now today was fringy. I mean, would you have thought that you would see somebody like Divine, a man dressed up like a woman, made a an admiral? I mean, this is beyond absurdity what is happening now. So anything is possible. And understand they've been laying the foundation for this for 40 years. For 40 years. As uh, the Federalist points out, parents are now more aware than ever that their right to raise their own children is in danger. Critical race theory, pitting one child against another, demonizing young children because of the color of their skin. Parents never signed on to that. But they're also waking up to a host of other things. Very disturbing. Uh, The sex education curriculum, pornographic, pushing transgenderism, cross-dressing, you have, she doesn't mention this in this article, but, you know, just the idea that you would have middle-aged men dressing up like women in burlesque and doing vulgar displays and that parents would be taking their kids to that. But a lot of parents did not sign up for that and do not want to have that kind of pedophile grooming going on in their home uh, or in their, with their children. Social and emotional learning, SEL instruction tells kids exactly how they should feel and how they should relate to others while using invasive data mining to collect psychosocial information on them. That is the key. That is, that is part of the critical race theory. That is a big part of what Merrick Garland's son-in-law's uh, business model is. It's not only pushing critical race theory and hatred and racism, but it is also collecting and monetizing information about the kids in that way. And then, of course, there's the mask and the vaccine mandates. Parents ought to be asking, what is next, says uh, the Federalist. If those trends are left unchecked, I think the answer could be the licensing of parents. The idea is still considered, uh, still consigned, rather, to journal articles and some academic chatter. But let's not forget, critical race theory, transgenderism were laughed off as fringy academic notions just a couple of years ago before They were picked up by newsrooms before they were picked up by the classrooms, by the public libraries, by the establishment. As a matter of fact, ethics professor Hugh LaFollette laid out the idea in a 1980 academic article titled Licensing Parents. The gist is that all biological parents ought to go through the same kind of process required of adoptive parents, such as interviews, psychological testing, and home visits. His thesis is, that regulation of parenting through state licensing would maximize parental competence and minimize the potential for child abuse. Well, the reality is is that you can, uh, and and it does happen, you do have uh, people who have been vetted for adoption who become abusive as well. There's no guarantees on any of this. And we should never have a situation where you have to uh, prove your innocence uh, to this. Anyway, he relies heavily on an analogy comparing the licensing of parents to state licensing required to practice medicine or law or even to drive a car. They keep coming back to this. That's one of the reasons why Eric Peters and I have always focused on that. Uh, You know, people come back and say, uh, as a matter of fact, there was just somebody yesterday. I saw a tweet uh, uh, tweeting out under a comment somebody had about the fact that their exemption had been rejected. And now I'm faced with the decision. Do I get this vaccine uh, that uh, I don't want? Or do I lose my job? 
And I saw one person saying, well, you know, mocking the people who are pushing back on this as a principle of freedom. Well, if you wear a seatbelt, you've just lost your freedom. And, um, and actually, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I've always resisted seatbelt laws, even though I wore seatbelts. I wore seatbelts before it was law. And after they made it a law, I refused to wear them for two years. I thought, all right, nothing's going to change by me not wearing the seatbelt. I was wearing it before, so I'll start wearing it now. But I pointed out, I said, okay, well, you know, wear your seatbelt. Your seat, my seatbelt, my, me wearing my seatbelt does not protect you in a crash. My wearing a motorcycle helmet does not protect you in a crash. And my wearing a mask or getting a vaccine or let's just call it the uh, injection does not protect you either. So mind your own business. It is none of your business. <clears throat> but this is where this all began. You know, my father, uh, my father was driving a car on the streets uh, without a license when he was eight years old. It wasn't required. You know, he wasn't, uh, as, long, as soon as he could reach the pedals, his dad let him, let him drive it. I was driving a boat uh, on and pulling people skiing when I was eight years old. But the reality is, is that if you look today, I know we went to, uh, it was part of a news um, a thing that we were covering, and we needed to get into a boat in Virginia and they had licensing requirements for driving a boat, except not for people who were over a certain age like me, because they knew we weren't going to put up with it. We've <laughs> been driving these things for decades. And, uh, and, and so that's how the creep goes. You know, my father didn't need a license to drive a car. I didn't need a license to drive a boat, but now a license is required for all of that. I refuse to live my life based on permissions granted by the government. I, I comply with some of these things simply uh, as a matter of expedience, but I absolutely reject them in principle, and I have no moral qualms about <laughs> disobeying them uh, depending on whether or not I want the hassle. Uh, it's just a, a matter of pragmatism, but I do not respect it in principle. Anyway, getting back to this, uh, yeah, oh, we should license parents because we license people to drive cars. That's where this ultimately goes. If you... And we've been going down this path, as I point out, for decades. The idea that everything in life is a government-granted privilege. Well, if you buy into that assumption, it's just a matter of time before they do license you for being parents. So going back to this guy who is a so-called ethics professor, LaFollette, back in 1980. Uh, he said the main sticking point is the presumption that biological parents have natural dominion over their children. He said we should reject that assumption because it treats children as property. Well, let me just say this. Children are not adults. Children are not responsible. Children do not have, therefore, liberty, and the decisions will be made for them by somebody. Who do they belong to? Right? Well, they don't want them to belong to parents. They want them to belong to the state. They're going to belong to somebody. Somebody's going to be making the decisions for them, and the state will be making those decisions. That's why you have Melissa Harris-Perry and that uh, MSNBC public service announcement back in 2013. We've got to get over this idea that the children belong to the parents. No, they belong to the village. They belong to the state, just as Hillary Clinton said. So he decided that this needs to be done incrementally in the same way that we have seen incrementalism in everything, especially and this imprisonment, this global imprisonment based on the nonsense emergency. Remember, 
It had to be done from the inside. It had to be done disruptively, and it had to be done iteratively. That's what Fauci said. And that is exactly what we're experiencing now, this iterative uh, issue. And so here's his incremental path, the incrementalism towards licensing parents. He said in a 2010 follow-up to his essay from 1980, so 30 years later, uh, he writes an essay, Licensing Parents Revisited. He suggested we take steps like requiring courses in parenting, giving tax breaks to parents who voluntarily get licensed, and monitoring them and more. So those last two things, giving tax breaks, monitoring people, that is the path to mandatory vaccination that would have been followed by Trump. Uh, the the um, It was always going to be done <clears throat> through corporations. And they were smart enough to not want the due process challenge, to not wake people up. Uh, and now Biden has. And so from that standpoint, uh, it's bringing things to a head. And it means that we have to do something right now. We cannot wait. But the good point about it is that it has awakened people to where this is headed. Uh, LaFollette also pointed out, in terms of talking about licensing parents, he said, we should question the right to procreate. It's not just the right to keep your kids after they're born to you. But, you know, we should uh, challenge whether or not you're going to even be allowed to procreate. So uh, Andrew Cohen, who is another professor, ethics professor, said, you know, well, once pregnant, you violate no law until the child is born. And only then if you decide to raise it without getting a license. So that's a lot better, right? Now, this all goes back to Karl Marx, 1848, the Communist Manifesto, uh, the rallying cry for the abolition of the family, but it goes back even before that. This author does not go back to uh, Plato, Plato's Republic, the idea that we would have three classes in the society, that the state would control everything in that republic. You would have the elites, you would have the enforcers, the private army of these madmen, and then you'd have everybody else and everybody else. No one was to know who their parents were. They were to only know the state. And so they were to be taken away from uh, the parents at birth and raised by the state for absolute control. That's the uh, path of all authoritarian societies. And we can see so many elements of that now gradually being brought in, can't we? Well, let's just uh, recount some of them that are listed here. Of course, we have the uh, Marxist Black Lives Matter announced a mission to disrupt the nuclear family, to replace it with collectivist forms of child rearing. This is, by the way, folks, you may think that this is something that is being done to help people, but the idea that you're going to entitle uh, parents to have um, uh, child care at an early age and all the rest of this, they, they destroy the family and then they make the government the family. And we can see this in the cartoons that they put out, the pictograms. Uh, there was one that came out this year from the Biden administration, The Life of Linda. There was one during the Obama 2012 campaign, The Life of Julia. Both of them show a cartoon version where there is a mother and a child, no father. The government is not just their Uncle Sam. It's not just their big brother. Oh, it's the provider for them. They don't want families just like Marx, just like Plato. It doesn't fit in their vision of total control. Uh, so they want a fatherless uh, raising of the ch children, and they want the children raised by the state. Elitist contempt for parental rights today is more out in the open than ever. 
We can feel it when parents who express concern at school board meetings are told to shut up or when the left-wing National Association of School Boards and the Biden administration decide to investigate such parents as domestic terrorists, when Attorney General Merrick Garland echoes those sentiments. But the hot trend of disrespect for parental rights should not surprise us. We can feel it when the schools hide health information from parents. We can see it in legislation that allows minors to be taken in for abortions without parental consent or even knowledge. It happens when schools hide from parents their child's claim to be a transgender. Judges have stripped custody from parents who don't want their minor children to take cross-sex hormones. So the structure for this is basically coming out of three trends, says the Federalist author. First, there's a growing propaganda campaign that vilifies family cohesion. Second, there's an ongoing crusade to equate sexual rights as human rights across the board as an inviolable principle. So there's not much that is inviolable, is there? But boy, you better not get in the way of the trannies, and you better not get in the way of big pharmaceutical companies. You want to know who rules you? Look at who you're not allowed to criticize. Um, Finally, laws that grant special privileges to sexual orientation and to gender identity uh, that will strip away even your free speech rights, that will strip away your rights of free uh, expression of religion, free exercise of religion. The propaganda campaign against family privilege, as they call it, again, this is clearly putting it in the realm of the Marxists who use privilege or justice uh, after everything in order to, um, uh, it's it's so tired, such a tired tactic. Why don't we just get rid of this? I mean, we look at this and we scratch our heads and why do we pay any attention to this? Why do we let these people shame us into compliance, dominate and bully us to do everything that they want to do? We have a a civilization that has essentially collapsed decades ago. It collapsed when we threw God out of it and we threw out the Christian principles that this country was based upon. And we need to start rebuilding something else because these people are rebuilding something. And you know what it looks like? A prison. That's exactly what they're building. There's no freedom in their system. They seek to dominate, to control, and to kill people. Uh, We're not about that. So the propaganda campaign against family privilege is related to critical race theory. It argues that children who grew up in intact homes have unearned privileges that disadvantage other children. Uh, even they understand that it's better for the children to grow up in an intact family. It's one of the reasons why we used to, as a society, we used to uh, have vilification of people who got divorced. Even when it wasn't their fault, they would be vilified because they were trying to, uh, to keep the family intact. And because there were some situations where that was out of control, and be, but mainly, mainly because, not, not because we we're wrongly blaming some people who were divorced. You know, it takes two people to create a marriage. Any, either one of them or both of them can destroy it. Uh, so, but divorce itself, sometimes they would criticize individuals, but they took that away when it was normalized by Hollywood. I, mean, I can still remember when I was a child and you would see a, a Hollywood star like um, Debbie Reynolds get a divorce. Oh, it's scandalous, right? 
Is it going to end her career? Well, it didn't end her career. And then you wound up with Elizabeth Taylor. And then you wound up with somebody like Donald Trump, who openly bragged about throwing, kicking his wife to the curb. So much so, it was so reprehensible, even in the 90s, or maybe it was the late 80s. I don't know when he did it, when he did that to his first wife, Ivanka. They did the First Wives Club to push back against that. That used to be something that would disqualify people. It used to be considered to be a character flaw. Somebody to do the types of things that Trump did. Now he's given a pass. He's celebrated by evangelicals who, of all people, should be holding him up as an example of what you do not want to have. So anyway, the mission is global, as they point out. A good example of this is in Scotland. Uh, just a couple of years ago, you had the Independent reported that 40 secondary schools in England had actually banned girls from wearing skirts. Now we've got in Scotland... Uh, they're coercing boys to wear skirts. Wear a skirt to school campaign. It's a cross-dressing initiative modeled on a similar Spanish campaign uh, that was titled in uh, Spanish, Clothes Have No Gender. It was launched after a 15-year-old male student was apparently referred to a psychologist after wearing a skirt to a school. The campaign has allegedly student-driven and the uh, person uh, reporting on this at LifeSite News says, uh, well, I wonder where they got that idea <laughs> about gender fluidity. Where do you think they got that? But the teachers enthusiastically participated. Parents were understandably divided. But an Edinburgh Council spokesperson offered their support. As Scotland's capital, we are fully committed to promoting equality and diversity, they said. While the cross-dressing was not compulsory, school staff were very much encouraged to do it. One email that went out said, gentle reminder to all staff and pupils that tomorrow is wear a skirt to school day. Uh, we want our school to be inclusive and to promote equality. In other words, if you don't do this, you are excluding people. You're not inclusive and you do not promote equality. You're bad if you don't do it. Photos of awkward young boys wearing girls' skirts soon showed up on social media, prompting general disgust. Leave the kids alone said one user. Well, you need to understand at this point, that isn't going to happen. They're not going to leave the kids alone. So you lead your kids out of these institutions that have failed. This is global. This is global. Said it was a sad picture. Adolescence is confusing enough without boys being pressured into wearing skirts and dresses in order to make an adult LGBT activist feel better. That's exactly right. Well, when we look at these laws... And the Equality Act, which was the very first law that this Democrat Congress uh, installed this year, the very first one they came up with was the Equality Act. The Equality Act is based on the idea that sexual rights or gender rights are human rights. And, um, again, it is not about equality. It's really more about what they call equity. It's really about intersectionality is really what it's about. They said uh, the Equality Act, if passed by the Senate, uh, the Federalist uh, author writes, the Equality Act would serve as a roadblock to parental rights in at least two ways. First of all, it puts a national ban on any talk, any kind of conversion therapy. And quite frankly, that also uh, puts a gag in the mouth of anybody who is speaking about religious beliefs, because that's what this is fundamentally about, whether you realize it or not. This is a conflict uh, at that level. 
A national ban would completely cut them off from helping children by labeling any efforts as illegal discrimination, except they will be able to talk. So the talk will still be there. The kids will still be nudged in one direction or the other. It's just it won't be by the parents. It'll be by the schools, by the media, uh, by government. And uh, you will be allowed to nudge them in one direction, one direction only, in the trans-confusion direction. Secondly, the Equality Act specifically rejects any religious or conscience exemptions. The, um, any dissenting parent, Christian or otherwise, will be excluded from that. See, this is what this is all about. When we look at what is happening, and now this removal of medical exemptions, this removal of religious exemptions, that is now moving to the children. And, of course, it, was, it began with the children, and it began with school, and it began with holding that reward out. You do what I say, and uh, you, you get to go to school. Otherwise, uh, you're going to be banned. And you're not going to even have a private religious school where you, we're going to allow religious exemptions. Not going to allow, allow it. No, you got to get the shot. That's why that angered me so much. I play it over and over again. But that was, the, that was not just about promoting... Uh, a measles shot, which Trump knows, based on his age, nobody, he's older than I am, nobody in my generation got measles shots. They didn't have them, and um, I don't think they did. We certainly didn't get them. We got the real thing, and we got lifetime immunity, unlike the MMR shots. So he knows better, and he knows that it wasn't something that was deadly. It was extremely, extremely, extremely rare, and that's for, that's for real, that anybody would have an issue with measles itself. So uh, he knew better than that. But it really wasn't even about pushing that particular vaccine on people who didn't want it. It was about removing the exemptions, medical exemptions, as well as religious exemptions. And so now we see how this is all coming together. And it really does go back to the idea that from the very beginning, you own, you're owned by the state. You're owned by the village. If you are a creature of the state, if you belong to the state at the beginning, we are talking about cradle to grave, not socialism, but authoritarianism. And I want to remind you again of a uh, video that I put together talking about parental rights more than a decade ago, because that's where we are right now. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what is happening uh, with vaccines, with the new world orders, we, Bill Gates, I've had this on my desk now for two days, uh, the uh, germ games and other admissions that he's made. I re shortly, uh, briefly re referenced it uh, uh, yesterday, uh, the idea that he's now joined the club and admitted, just like Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, like the Lancet in the UK, like Boris Johnson, many other people, they all know, and they can't pretend anymore that the uh, vaccines do anything to stop transmission. Now, even Bill Gates, the preeminent doctor of the world, has now admitted that the vaccines do nothing about transmission. So we'll have that in just a moment. But I want to talk a little bit more about what is at the basis of all of this. Uh, the rejection and the removal of the values that have served civilizations, not even just Christian civilizations. Every civilization has been built upon the family, every one. I mean, you know, Plato, when he was talking about removing it because it got in the way of the state, they were not a Christian society. But Christians understand this, and uh, they understand the importance of religious freedom. 
and this is going to be the tip of the spear to take away everything from us. So let's start by reclaiming our parental rights and taking responsibility over our children. Certain truths are self-evident. We are endowed by our Creator with rights. Certain relationships are also inalienable. Family was the first institution created by our Creator, and the family is the fundamental building block of every healthy society and every just government. But government and family are two different authorities or spheres with different roles and different responsibilities. Each authority is uniquely suited for a particular task and doesn't do the task of the other well. Families have traditionally been assumed to be acting out of love in the best interest of its members and have been left alone unless proven to be abusive. But a new attitude has been cultivated by those that believe children should be raised by the village and not by their family. This approach to children and their families has been spelled out in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. The UN Convention assumes government responsibility for all the needs of children and transfers responsibilities and rights from parents to government. Government is seen as capable of providing every want to the child and as responsible for instilling correct values, their values, into children. Parents are mentioned in the UN Convention only as problems for children to be protected from or as mere advisors to their children so long as their advice is not too strong or coercive. Children are encouraged to form their values independent of their parents. But nowhere is there a sense that they would ever need protection from a government. This troubling document has been ratified as a treaty throughout the world, with the U.S. as virtually the only lone holdout. The U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child is about 16 pages. On the other hand, the Parental Rights Amendment is only three short paragraphs. It's a simple restatement of what has until recently been what every culture, every government except authoritarian governments, saw as the rights of parents. The Parental Rights Amendment would strengthen the Constitution to protect the family by explicitly stating self-evident truths about an inalienable relationship. Find out what you can do at parentalrights.org. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created common paths to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com
Hear news now at APSRadioNews.com or get the APS Radio app and never miss another story. As we're talking about what they're doing to our children, at the center of all this, of course, is the medical dictatorship. That is the basis for which they are now rolling all of this out. I mean, in the past, it was going to be climate. They're returning to climate, and it's the same answers to save us from global death and destruction, they say, as the, uh, the, the COVID pandemic. This is all working in exactly the same way. But you now have the AMA embracing critical race theory. They have a new guide that they have sent out pushing this to doctors, to nurses, to psychologists, a list of words to say. Again, they begin by controlling your speech and then having equity-focused alternatives. It is a 55-page document, 55 pages of speech rules about how to talk from the AMA, from the American Medical Association, reported there by Rebel News, as you see. Uh, replacing words like uh, fairness with social justice and on and on. And as I pointed out, you have these people who ultimately want to replace parents. Talking about family privilege, we understand it as a privilege, it's a blessing to have an intact family. We can't always have that. Sometimes uh, uh, one person leaves, one parent leaves, sometimes they die. Always in the past, that was the goal that we would aspire to. And we would try to do other things together collectively. If you're in a community, if you're in a church, there would be people who would come together who would mentor or to help a child that did not have a father. But we want to just push them all away now because only the government is qualified to raise children. That is the Marxist approach. And what these people are doing is not in the interest of our children. As a New American points out, a recent survey has shown an astonishing movement in terms of their ability to social engineer our children using these institutions, the schools, as they exclude parents. Arizona Christian University, in connection with the Foundations of Freedom, an organization, has found that 39% of Americans aged 18 to 24 refer to themselves as LGBT. Uh, Between the ages of 25 and 37, it is still 25%, but it is rapidly escalating. Uh, This is one way to do population control, isn't it? There was a significant gender split in the poll as well. 36% of females identifying as LGBT as opposed to 23% of males. As the New American points out, it raises the possibility that the long-term social engineering of America's youth is beginning to bear fruit. Oh, big time, big time. Uh, Gallup poll released this year earlier in February showed that it had jumped from 2017, where it was 4.5% of all adults, to 56 of all adults. And this is why I mention this, is because uh, it is happening so quickly. It is happening out of your sight, just like critical race theory, uh, that um, many parents are not aware of what is happening. Uh, they can't imagine that their kids are growing up in a school environment that is operated like a prison to get their kids to live under a prison-like system of total surveillance, to have them live under a system where they are divided and taught to hate people because of their skin color, where they are taught that there is no such thing as biological sex. Uh, this this is, um, uh, I, I, honest, I spend time on this because I think the fundamental enemy of 
our society, of our family, of our children, are the schools. If we don't stop this, this is where this type of thing is coming from. And the fact that I watch people sending their kids to school masked up for eight hours a day, now they're about to get them vaccinated. Well, we all know that this is over. I mean, look at the Democrats campaigning. Nobody when they were campaigning, even in the Democrat uh, gatherings. Nobody was wearing a mask. They were shaking hands. They were hugging each other face to face. So why are we doing this to our kids? Why are we allowing them to do this to our kids? You know, Jonathan and Isaac, who has had the integrity to stand up and, and articulate this, a basketball player. And, um, you know, prior to this, he had had the integrity to stand alone and to stand up for the national anthem. He said, I did all these things because of my Christian faith, because it gave me a foundation, gave me an understanding. In an interview, he said, uh, Christ is the answer for the problems we see in the world. And until we can humble ourselves and reckon with that, we won't see real change. He didn't join his teammates last year in supporting Black Lives Matter. He would not kneel during the national anthem. Uh, he said uh, the media rep misrepresent his decisions including falsely claiming that he chose not to get jabbed because he listened to President Trump. If he was listening to President Trump, he would have gotten jabbed. Trump loves the jab. He created the jab. He stopped the testing. He keeps telling everybody it's a big, beautiful thing. It's a miracle. It's the best thing's ever been created. If he listened to Trump, he would have taken it. He reiterated his support, very articulate with that. I didn't even know who he was. I just uh, saw, oh, look, there's a professional basketball player. I didn't know uh, what his background was, but he articulated it so clearly and intelligently. Look, I understand what national, natural immunity is, and I understand what, uh, how important it is for people to be able to make their own health decisions. I played that. He said, um, this is just about common sense when it comes to the vaccine. And he said that conservatives should focus their messaging on families. Yeah, see, he understands that as well. Where do you get that? He got that from his Christian upbringing. And one of the reasons why he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, yeah, he experienced discrimination. Look, we all have bad things that happen to us. But as a Christian, that he understands that the bad things that he's done are taken away, as well as the bad things that were done to him. So he leaves that at the cross, and he moves on, and he succeeds in life. He said, how can I provide the tools that have been afforded to me through Christ? And uh, how uh, I've thought just how can I package this in a way and this is not just a plug. He said, I've got a book that's coming up. It's called Why Stand? He said, it takes a journey of my life. And, you know, being a young kid and experiencing racism at a young age and being somebody that at a time would not be on this stage or stand up for what he believed in. But then finding my courage, finding my strength, finding my confidence in Christ to step out and be the only one to do something. And so kind of packaging that in a way to give people the tools and the confidence and the courage to step out and to stand up for what they believe in. I, I'm so disappointed when I look at the, the church in general. And I'm just talking about, you know, all people who profess to be Christians, all people who profess to be religious leaders, and how they have just kowtowed to this system. What happened to the John Knoxes? What happened to the John the Baptists who would stand up to leaders who are immoral and say, you may kill me or whatever, but I'm not going to back down to this. Instead, we have people and we hold people up as the Christian Post holds up Francis Collins. Francis Collins, Fauci's boss at the NIH. 
Here's the headline from the Christian Post. Francis Collins talks fetal tissue research. COVID-19 vaccines for kids. This is a guy, folks, I've known about Francis Collins well before he went to the NIH when he was, and he spent a long time with the Human Genome Project. And, of course, uh, based on that, they declared, well, we're finished. <laughs> We've sequenced the human genome. There's an awful lot of junk DNA in there that doesn't do anything. But, yeah, we, we <laughs> it tells you that they're not finished. It tells you that they only have figured out the tip of the iceberg. There's no junk DNA in there. Uh, that's just stuff they don't know. But they declared it was finished. And he declared victory. He picked up his medals, and he got promoted to be the Fauci's boss at the NIH. And he has focused on genetic modification there, transhumanism, as a matter of fact. And so it's no surprise to me that this institution is funding the kind of heinous research today. We're not talking about fetal uh, tissue even that was collected in 1963. That was bad enough. We're talking about what they're currently doing, harvesting fresh organs from living babies. And it's his organization's doing this. So they love to hold this guy up as an example of a Christian. He talked a great deal about his Christian faith. He created an organization called BioLogos. The purpose of BioLogos was to deconstruct the book of Genesis and to tell you how it's not true, how science is superior. That's where I knew him from. And so he said, well, we all want to make sure that we're not doing anything to put our kids in danger. But, of course, COVID is putting them in danger, he said. And this is being pushed out by the Christian Post. And I, I don't know where they're coming from. I know it's probably another organization like Christianity Today that's uh, just totally uh, sold out to politics, left-wing politics. But uh, he said all the pediatric ICUs in the country right now are full of kids with COVID. And we've lost more than 500 children to COVID. So it's not something to shrug off. But you'd. You don't want the vaccine to be dangerous. So there again, what is the truth? Where's the data? Kind of like Pontius Pilate, isn't he? Yeah. What is truth, he said. Pontius Pilate did. This guy is a Pontius Pilate. Everything he just said in there is a bold-faced lie. Everything there is fear point. Fear porn. It is... Uh, misrepresenting the situation with the children. There haven't been 500 children who've died. Marty McCary at um, uh, Johns Hopkins went through when it was uh, just under 400. They evaluated every single one of those, and they said there's not a single death from COVID. There's some kids who were very, very sick with multiple other comorbidities, and they died from that. They tested positive with COVID, but they did not die from COVID. He is pushing a bold-faced lie, and I'm sick and tired of contradicting uh, his lies. But anyway, he says, you just got to trust the experts here. So what is truth? He says, what is truth? Uh, just uh, trust the experts, he says. We have the truth. He goes on to talk then about the moral issues of abortion. During the time, during this time, he said a lot has changed since he's been at the NIH. Living out his faith as a committed Christian in the public arena, tackling the issues of abortion and fetal tissue research has been challenging for him. And um, he is well positioned to do this because if he believes that, um, uh, you know, you are the random chance uh, uh, creation, uh, that God did not... Uh, uh, knit you together in your mother's womb. You know, he doesn't just throw out Genesis. He throws out a great deal. 
of the Bible, uh, then why wouldn't you support abortion? You know, the whole ontology recapitulates phylogeny idea. The fact that at a certain stage, these babies are not human. You know, they're an animal. Uh, well, I would say that since we're a lot more concerned about puppies, and as I'll point out in a second, hippopotamuses, or hippopotami, I don't know, uh, we're more concerned about them than we are humans. You know, we rightfully get upset about what Fauci did unnecessarily to puppies, torturing them to death in so many different ways. Are you concerned about what he is still doing, torturing to death babies in order to get fresh, not frozen organs, to pay tens of thousands of dollars for it? to Planned Parenthood, doing it at the University of Pittsburgh, doing it with grants from the NIH, grants from the FDA. Are you concerned about that? No, you're not. I would say that if ontology recapitulates phylogeny and if we are terminating something that's not human, perhaps in this society, we would that might be the basis for stopping abortion. Well, don't kill the baby at this stage because at this stage they're, um, you know, they're a fish or something. And, and we love fish. We don't like humans. You know, so wait until the baby's born, and then you can kill them. But don't kill them when they're a fish. Well, that's an absolute lie anyway. That was all put together by Ernst Teckel, but it's still in the biology textbooks. Uh, even though it's been debunked by people who are actually, by uh, imaging that shows that he just made up those drawings. He was uh, Darwin's bulldog, Ernst Teckel, and he just fabricated all that stuff. But it was, I've heard it sold, and, and it's still sold in the biology textbooks. But he says... Um, as a person of faith who believes in the sanctity of human life and as a person of science who's trying to come up with ways that science can save lives, he said of human fetal tissue, he said human fetal tissue is just one of those examples. He believes that people should, quote, recognize after all that people have elective terminations of pregnancy every day. And those materials are being discarded. Suppose he said it was possible on a rare instance for something that's about to be discarded with full consent after the decision of the mother, perhaps it's possible for that to be used to develop something that might save somebody's life. See, isn't that nice? Except that's not anywhere close to the reality. I've talked to you in, in depth, and, and John Rappaport is the one who, who wrote an excellent article about how these 1963 cell lines were obtained how the people who uh, talked about how it was obtained uh, pointed out that it had to be obtained from a living baby. They had to know as they were getting rid of that baby uh, that they were going to uh, save these cells. And that is especially true of the research that Francis Collins' organization, his institution, is now funding. Uh, they do not, uh, it isn't like Oh, well, we just had an abortion, and, you know, this dead baby is just laying over there in the trash. Let's see what we can salvage. Is that okay with you, Mom? Can we just do that? Can we just kind of rummage through the trash that used to be a living human being and, um, you know, take out the parts that we want? No. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, they have to go through very special procedures. As I also pointed out a couple of weeks ago, you had a doctor, an OBGYN, who has performed over 1,200 abortions. And they put together a short video uh, to people that was had some animation, and he described what was happening. And these people were, oh, adamantly, I'm, you know, I support abortion always, always. And after they saw that, they said, "That's disgusting. That is sick. Why would we do that to a human being?" They completely changed them if they knew what was happening. And if you know what is being happen, what is happening in order to harvest these bodies, 
Uh, they rip these children apart while they're alive inside the mother. The difference is that when Fauci and Francis Collins want the parts, they take the body, they take the child out alive and then rip them apart while they're still alive on the outside. That's what this is involved in. So they can harvest those organs. So in an extensive interview, Collins talked about his faith and how he's managed the world of COVID and science as he crusades in helping evangelicals understand the truth in an age of misinformation. It is an age of misinformation. It is an age of deception. And we better get some discernment. The big lie, the big lie, we're just salvaging useless garbage that's going to bring life to people. No, he is a bringer of death. He is murdering babies. Or you know, he's, he's got contracts out on them. He's got Planned Parenthood doing it for him, uh, but he's, um, he's murdering people. In Illinois, they've amended the religious freedom law to prevent people from skirting the vaccine mandates, they say. The governor of Illinois assigned a new law designed to prevent people from using a decades-old religious liberty law. Uh, governor Pritzker signed Senate Bill 1169 into law Monday to clarify that a state's Health Care Right of Conscience Act can't be used to challenge coronavirus vaccination requirements or other actions taken by employers or businesses to prevent contraction or transmission of COVID-19. So um, they've got a decades-old religious liberty law there in the state. We have a decades-old religious liberty law, the um, Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act. And, of course, we also have the First Amendment. But uh, they're gradually trying to remove any religious freedom, any individual choice from people. And uh, they said that uh, this law will not be abused or misinterpreted to jeopardize workplace safety. What was the purpose of this law? The Illinois Health Care Right of Conscience Act, which went into effect in 1998, required the state to, quote, respect and to protect the right of conscience of all persons who refuse to obtain, receive, or accept health care services, and medical care. It bars, quote, all forms of discrimination, disqualification, coercion, disability, or imposition of liability on such persons or entities by reason of their refusing to act contrary to their conscience or conscientious convictions in areas of medical care. The purpose of this, said the uh, Chicago Tribune, was to protect healthcare professionals from being forced to provide abortions against their will. And so now they're going to remove that. So now they will force people to do abortions against their will, and they will force you to inject a product of an abortion into you as well. That's where we are. That's where we are. They said, we're going to do this because it's going to prevent a small group of people from distorting the meaning and putting some of our most vulnerable members of society in danger. You know who our most vulnerable members of society are? These little babies. These little babies that we grind up for our cannibal medicine. They are the most vulnerable. We don't care about them, do we? Uh, you even had uh, some uh, Democrats defect on this one. It still passed because they have so many Democrats. But you had six Democrats joining all the Republicans in opposing repealing the right of conscience in Illinois. 
four Democrats abstained. And so I want to play for you a back and forth, uh, a very good job by Mike Johnson. I want you to see the lies and the prevarication of the abortion industrial complex as Representative Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, engaged uh, some of these people. Let's see. Um, here it is. Okay. He engaged um, uh, some people who are um, with an organization called Physicians for Reproductive Health. And help me understand the position of your organization. Uh, these are simple yes or no questions. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? No one should be forced to remain pregnant if they don't want to. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? Yes or no? I am deeply offended that you would call me a murderer. I'm not calling you a murderer, ma'am. I'm asking you a question. Is it okay to murder a 10-year-old child? This is about your organization's position. Would they say yes or no? My organization's position is that no one should be forced to remain pregnant if they don't want to. And any re abortion restrictions are... Okay, um, okay. Let me, let, me, uh, let me answer the question for you. I'm assuming that you do not advocate for the murder of children. Okay. What about a toddler? I assume you would say it's not okay to murder a, a toddler either, a two-year-old. What about a newborn? Let me ask you this. The position of the organization, are you for partial birth abortion? Is that the position of the organization? Would you support that? What my organization is for is to support the people who need abortion care, who are lied to when they are sent to okay, alleged if, pregnancy resource does, would centers that, excuse that me just lie a second, to just a patients it, would that and apply tell to, them. Would that apply to a woman who is nine months pregnant? I disagree with the premise of your question. Do you, would you support the abortion of a late-term unborn child? Anybody should have should be, have the right to have an abortion at any time Anytime. for any okay. reason. That's what I need. So here's the thing. I'm just trying to understand the logical fallacy. So if we would not support, and I'm, I mean this sincerely, and this is not for you personally. I'm talking about the organization. You support an advocacy organization. If it, if it is not okay to take the life of a small child outside the womb, why is it okay to take the life of a small child nine, month, nine inches up the birth canal inside the womb? What is the distinction? Help me understand the, the distinction of that. I don't understand the question. If it, you, you would not support the murder of a small child, right? No one would. No civilized person would. Why do we support the taking of a life of a child right before they're delivered? No civilized person should support forced pregnancy. Does abortion take the life of something that's alive? No one should be forced to remain pregnant against their will. Ma'am, you're not answering my questions. Let me, let me ask the doctor uh, on this screen. Um, is it okay, uh, or let me ask you this. Does abortion kill something that's alive, take the life of something that's alive? Sir, the way that you're asking these questions actually intentionally invite violence and harassment to both of us, to all of us. I'm sorry, that is an absurd response. You're a medical doctor. Tell me if the- They're the ones committing violence. If there's an unborn child in the womb or not, if, are we killing something that's alive? When you, when you dismember something in the womb, is that a human being or not? It's a living being, yes or no? I'm here to talk about medical care. Yes, this is a direct question about medical care, ma'am. You positioned yourself as an expert on the issue. Are we taking a life or not? Is it a life, yes or no? 
what you are discussing is not the reality of how abortion care is delivered in this country. If, you know, if we were in a courtroom, I would say that that's non-responsive. And I think I, we all know why you don't want to respond to that, because the obvious fact here is that you're taking a human life. It's a small human life. It's a human being. Let me ask you, doctor, should abortion be allowed because of the sex of the preborn child, in your medical opinion? I do not believe that there should be any restrictions on the bodily okay. autonomy. All right, so, if, if, so hold on. So if someone gets a, a, diagno- a, a, a pregnancy test and they say it's a, it's a little girl and I want a little boy, it's okay to abort that, that child? I have never seen a pregnancy test that tells you this. Would it be okay or not? If someone, knows they, if someone has an ultrasound, they know have, have one sex and they want to abort it, is that okay? Time of the gentleman has expired, Ms. Garcia. I'll just note that no one answered the questions. Thank you. Go back. You know, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it, how uh, how they lie like Fauci? Uh, again, I would like to get um, Francis Collins, who is a professing Christian. I'd like to get him on the stand, and I would like to ask him a similar question. We all know that food is necessary for life, and in many cases, medicine is necessary for life. Is it okay to take the life of a child? in order to produce food or medicine. That's why I call these injections, soylent genes. This kind of cannibal medicine, is that okay? Does that justify? Does the end justify the means, or do you have any principles whatsoever? You see these people beating around the bush. Come on, we all know uh, before a baby is born, you know what sex it is. And as they're pointing out, with partial birth abortion, baby goes full nine months, and then they leave a tiny part of the baby and the mother while they kill the baby, a viable baby. That was the thing at the point at which I realized the lies that were being told. Now, these women that um, uh, the congressman, Mike Johnson, was talking to, they know precisely what they're doing. They're cold-blooded murderers, just like Fauci, just like Francis Collins. And so when we look at this, they would not say, is that a person? Is that a living human being? You know, we just had a court that ruled that uh, hippos are persons. And yet we still don't recognize the uh, personhood of human babies. This is a bizarre story. This is coming out of, you may remember, um, we have uh, the the, uh, drug lord in Colombia, who um, had uh, Pablo Escobar. He had all kinds of crazy things. Part of the crazy things that he had was a, uh, his own zoo. And for whatever reason, he decided that he would bring in uh, some hippopotamus, hippopotamuses, hippopotami, hippos. Let's just call them hippos. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know which it is. Um, and, uh, and then as he's been hauled off, to a jail, and as there's no more drug money coming in to uh, pay for their well-being, uh, they've kind of gone feral there in Colombia, and the people want to get rid of them because uh, hippos are very, very dangerous. I've heard that they kill more people in Africa uh, than any other animal. I don't know if that's true or not, but they do kill a lot of people. And so people are very concerned about this. I don't know why he was focused on hippos. Uh, it, it is kind of ironic to me because the uh, uh, hippopotamus actually means a water horse. And of course, uh, horse is a nickname for heroin. So maybe that's, maybe that's the connection. You know, he's got, he's got water heroin. Uh, and I don't know why, 
But nevertheless, they're there, right? And so these uh, very dangerous uh, animals that he's left behind, introduced into the wild there, some people want to get rid of it. But you've got the Animal Legal Defense Fund here in the U.S. opposes the slaughtering of the hippos. And so last month, they secured a ruling by a U.S. federal magistrate court to have the animals recognized as, quote, interested persons, unquote. Uh, And a U.S. statute allows anyone who is an interested person, unquote, in foreign litigation to request permission from a federal court to take depositions in the U.S. in support of their foreign case. And so by this very inventive legal process, which is very much like what we had with Roe v. Wade, isn't it? They invented the right of privacy. Uh, They said we created law. We amended the Constitution. We discovered a right of privacy that had never been discovered by anybody else for a couple hundred years. Imagine that. And um, what they discovered was a prevarication to give them judicial power. But in the same way, they've now said, well, we have this obscure law that interested persons can be protected by the U.S. court in foreign countries. And so let's declare these hippos to be interested persons. The plaintiffs in the suit are a community of hippopotamuses living in the Magdalena River. It is the first time a court has recognized animals as legal persons, said the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Uh, but um, a pro-life group, Live Action, said, sadly, preborn humans are not granted the same legal status as Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos in a federal court. The U.S. has one of the most extreme pro-abortion legal regimes in the world. It is one of only seven countries, along with North Korea and China, to allow elective abortion past 20 weeks of gestation. And so as we look at all of this, how do we put this all together? The human rights, the, the disregard for human life, the idea that children belong to the state, that families are evil, the government is good, all of this comes together. And we see California scrutinizing doctors who are uh, giving parents exemptions from these vaccine mandates, you see? You don't have religious liberty. You don't have any parental rights. You don't have any informed consent when it comes to a doctor-patient relationship. All of these things are being moved out at the same time. And, and I hope, and I, I cover these stories because I want you to see how they all converge together. How there is a certain moral worldview, if you want to call it moral, it's very immoral, but it is a certain Marxist, secularist worldview that is pulling all of this together. And this new world that we're living in is not one that was given to us by Klaus Schwab. This is an invention of hell. And it will be a living hell if we allow our rule of law, our society, our civilization, science itself to be swept away in the name of uh, experts. So we have Dr. M. Kelly Sutton, as uh, reported by the Wall Street Journal, is one of the doctors that's been accused by the Medical Board of California of improperly exempting several students from required school vaccines. She disputes the findings, but she acknowledges that she did consider parental input when granting exemptions, and that is not a recognized reason in the state. Do you see how that is? In other words, they're more concerned about the fact 
that she sought parental input than they are about whether or not there was really a medical reason to exempt these kids. They want to take her license because she uh, sought parental input. That's what this is ultimately about. It is a complete takeover of everything in our society. It is a dehumanizing of us. As uh, Babylon B puts it, now that Big Bird has sold the Pfizer vaccine, here are 10 more upcoming product endorsements from Big Bird. <laughs> and by the way, you know, this just really underscores why you don't want to have schools, Hollywood, television, pharmaceutical companies that control the media. That's why you don't want to have them uh, coming after your kids because they don't have the judgment. And they know that. You know, why don't they, why don't they have, um, instead of Big Bird, Right. If kids are mature minors, uh, then why don't you have a uh, white-coated um, doctor come in and give them a lecture about all the medical reasons and scientific reasons and statistical reasons, uh, lay out the numbers, right, as to why they should get this. You, know, you lay out all of this as a rational argument and then maybe even have a debate if they are mature minors so they can understand. No, no, you don't do that. You demonize anybody that disagrees with them, and then you bring in a bunch of literal sock puppets. You bring in a bunch of puppets. The very fact that they are engaging Sesame Street puppets like Big Bird tells you that they aren't under the illusion that these kids have the maturity to make these decisions. They obviously don't. And so um, Babylon B says, Big Bird is finally doing what he was born to do, selling pharmaceutical products to small children. After his resounding success in selling the Pfizer vaccine, here's 10 more exciting Big Bird product endorsements that PBS is planning. Number one, a brand new cereal, Pfizer O's. Every bowl is the equivalent of one COVID booster. The FDA says it's a balanced part of your complete breakfast. Number two, Pfizer's watermelon-flavored puberty blocker chewables. Change your gender without sacrificing taste. Number three, lead finger paint set. A great way to boost your child's immunity to lead poisoning. <laughs> Made in China. Number four, Communist Manifesto, the Illustrated Children's Edition. It's never too early to introduce your kids to the greatest political ideology on earth. A great alternative. Uh, number six, Waterboarding Kit. A great way for kids to learn how we treat enemies of the state. Number seven, COVID Heroes Trading Cards. Fauci, Whitmer, Newsom, collect them all. Number eight injectable sugar. A great way to boost your energy on the go. And the last one I'll go over is a government-issued satellite phone for reporting your parents to the state. Don't let them get away with mask violations on your watch. We had Matthew McConaughey, who wants the, the actor who uh, would like to be governor here in um, Texas, uh, is now in hot water with the left. He thought he was coming up with a you know, straddling the fence, and virtue signaling to a big group of people. Uh, but you can't uh, do anything other than push the vaccine without reserve, even on kids. He said he wants more information before he gives a shot to his kids. And he tried to pull it back as the person who was interviewing was astonished. Uh, he said, I, I couldn't mandate having to vaccinate the younger kids. I still want to find out more information. He says, I'm vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. I didn't do it because someone told me I had to. I chose to do it. 
Do I think that there is any kind of scam or conspiracy? Hell no, he says. We all got to get off that narrative. There's no conspiracy about the vaccines. Oh, yeah, really? Really? Is anything else allowed? No, we have a vaccine-only agenda. And, of course, in order to know that you got the vaccine, we have to set up a complete surveillance and control system as well. Yeah, it's just a coincidence, of course. Well, yeah, it's not a conspiracy at all. Not a conspiracy. I mean, these people who get together at Davos, these people who get together in all these global confabs, and they put together a very detailed procedure about how they're going to track your every move and grant you permission and give you a global ID. I mean, they're not, that's just all kind of spontaneously generated. There's no plan involved in any of that, right? He said, I've quarantined harder than any of my friends. Oh, good friends. See, he's virtue signaling about all this stuff, McConaughey. Uh, and he said uh, his family has relied on a heavy amount of testing. I'm in a position, though, where I can do that. And I understand that not everybody can do that. Well, you know, here's the problem. We need to have leaders who have clear legal and moral principles. They need to know what they believe. I'm sick and tired of wishy-washy people who stick their finger in their mouth, wet it, and hold it up to see which way the wind's blowing. Do you believe in anything? Do you stand for anything? Uh, you need people like uh, the basketball player. What's his name? Jonathan Ives, I think. Uh, we need people like him. We don't need people like Matthew McConaughey. We need people who know what they believe and why they believe it. I don't need somebody who's just oh, trying to pander to everybody. Oh, he's a perfect politician, quite frankly. I believe in this, more responsibility, more personal responsibility to make the right choices. And we got to pick context with each situation, each person's situation, each woman's situ situational morality, situational legality. No, no, no. We need to have some firm moral principles. Let's start with something like, well, I don't know. Uh, each of us are created with certain God-given liberties, and the purpose of government is to defend those liberties. And when government becomes destructive of that, it is our right and our duty to alter or to abolish that government. How about that? That, that might be a good place to start. Uh, but anyway, he tries to straddle the fence, and immediately they stick the attack dogs on him. And you've got the Surgeon General. What a useless office this is. I've always thought that. Uh, Vivek Murphy comes back and says the same thing that Francis Con COVID is not harmless to kids. Oh, yes, it is. Many kids have died. Sadly, hundreds of kids, thousands, thousands have been hospitalized. And as a dad of a child who was hospitalized several years ago for another illness, oh, well, let me ask you, uh, Surgeon General, did you declare martial law when your son got sick over that? I mean, that has been the response of a lot of these uh, authoritarian left-wing parents. Uh, something happens to their child. And we need to uh, ban that activity for everybody. You know, I had a child who drowned in the bathtub, so let's ban bathtubs. That's typical liberal uh, response. Yeah, I'm going to make this count for something. You know, my child didn't die for nothing. I'm going to ban bathtubs everywhere. Uh, but did you uh, shut down the entire world because you had a child in the hospital for another illness? He said, I would never wish that on another parent. If they, that they have a child who ends up in a hospital. Well, I wouldn't either, but unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. Unless you don't want us to be in the world. Unless you want to lock us down under house arrest because you would like to use any 
pretense, any fear porn, to create medical martial law and keep it going now for 605 days. The reality is that out of 28 children, uh, 28 million children, uh, in the age range of 5 to 11, 94 have died since the pandemic, and uh, those child, those children have not died from it. They died with a positive PCR test. We all know about those things. In a study that focused on deaths only, researchers analyzed England's national database, including the mandatory National Child Mortality Database, to identify all children under 18 who have died between March 2020 and February 2021. After differentiating between those who died of COVID-19 and those who died of an alternative cause but coincidentally tested positive, researchers determined that only 25 of the 61 children had died in a population of over 12 million children, a mortality rate equivalent to two in a million. Two in a million. But, of course, we're going to take everything. And what they're putting out is, uh, and we're seeing this escalating, as I pointed out, uh, Pfizer who, by the way, uh, has uh, paid the steepest crime of any of the pharmaceutical companies yet. Uh, and, uh, but he's projecting anybody who criticizes his product is criminal. No, you're criminal, Borla. Find these common types of health misinformation. This is a flyer that's put out by the CDC. Uh, and they, uh, here's how you can tell if it's misinformation. Did you check with the CDC? You know, because they have all the answers. Next one. Did you ask a credible health care professional? Uh, did you type the claim into a search engine? Because we know that Google never hides anything, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a search engine that's now been designed to hide things. Did you look at the About Us page on the website to see if you can trust the source? Well, it's not just labeling people as misinformation. Understand, this is a global agenda. And even in Russia, uh, we have, you know, and I say even in Russia, because typically they are uh, painted as being not part of the global confab. And sometimes they are excluded from some of these global organizations. But um, you have an authoritarian regime under Putin, no doubt about it. And they all want to use this. And so you have anti-vaxxer doctors in Russia could be held criminally liable, says the health minister. Isn't it interesting? Just as you got the Pfizer executive saying that, you know, you got this happening in Russia. This is happening in lockstep around the world. So um, they said in criminal legislation, this is the um, Russia's health minister uh, who said this, Mikhail Marosco, he said, in criminal legislation, there are articles that could be applied to people who pose a threat. Well, you don't have to be a prophet to see what happens when an anti-vaxxer medical worker gets sick. According to the health minister, medical professionals should be more advanced than the average person, and they should know better than to refuse injection. Maybe they do know better. Maybe they have been on the front lines, and maybe that is the most important thing to take away. The fact that nurses and doctors by the thousands are walking away from this after they spent a year and a half looking and treating people up close who had COVID, and after they've spent uh, a half a year looking at people and treating people who've been vaccinated. Maybe they know something. 
And maybe if they're willing to walk away from their jobs, from their careers over this, maybe we ought to pay attention. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to thedavidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and Trovo every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. Tell Alexa to add the APS radio skill and have access to the best channels anywhere. From country to blues, classic hits to news, APS radio curates incredibly diverse playlists for you to enjoy. Get details at APSradio.com. I want to get into uh, a couple of amusing things that happened with the uh, Rittenhouse trial. (laughs) And uh, uh, very entertaining to to watch this, a, a clip from the judge. Uh, as well as I want to talk a little bit about uh, what is coming to automobiles as a part of this infrastructure bill, uh, hyperinflation, and we'll get back into uh, the mandates uh, in, in just a moment here. But before I begin that, I want to give a quick shout out and thank you to uh, people who have we received uh, contributions over the last week or so. We just uh, got the uh, gas gauge updated. I wanted to thank uh, Tom K. Very generous. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Uh, Martin K., uh, Dan S., Alan W., Martin T., Van G., Rick Y., and Michael J. We also have um, uh, some people who have uh, sent us some things with no name. Uh, City State, we've received some things from uh, Irwin, Pennsylvania, Forest City, North Carolina, and this card. Thank you. That's very nice. Very nice card. And uh, those were anonymous, so I just wanted to acknowledge those since they were sent in the mail. Uh, just want to let people know that we'd received that. And thank you so much for your support. Uh, you'll find where you can support us at thedavidnightshow.com and where you can find the show. And uh, we've been working on getting on some additional platforms as well. So uh, right now we are Aftermath FM, is, Aftermath.fm is carrying us. As you hear also, APS Radio is carrying us. Uh, you'll find us on, um, you'll find us on uh, podcasts, on all the major podcasts. And we've got two different podcasts that go out. One of them is the David Knight Show, which was always there, but that was locked up and locked away from me for the first couple of months uh, after I left InfoWars. They kept that. I eventually got that back, so now that's going back out there. But in the interim, we set up the real David Knight Show. That is hosted on Podbean. Uh, The other one, the David Knight Show, is hosted on Spreaker. Uh, But they push out to uh, all the different podcast places. So if you go to iTunes, for example, you see both of those there. 
And pretty much everybody carries this at this point in time, except for Spotify. Uh, so you'll find those two podcasts in uh, various places. And um, uh, we tried something experimentally with um, Spreaker to see, uh, and we did it yesterday for the first time. Uh, we got it set up where they can insert ads. I don't know what is in there. I haven't had time to check it to see what is in there. We just let them put that in automatically, insert that there. So that's um, if you get it at Spreaker, you might hear those ads, and that might be a way uh, to help to monetize uh, the program if it becomes uh, a, a real big issue for you. Um, I mean, you can always hit skip when you're listening on a phone or something, but if it becomes a big issue, let us know. Uh, and um, right now, the Spreaker podcast has that feature in it, uh, but not Podbean. So um, just to let you know. And, of course, you'll also find us, uh, the video archives. We'll have the full show plus some additional cuts, and we have four different platforms where that is. You'll find the links to those platforms, especially on Rumble. You won't find us under the David Knight Show there. Again, I, I don't have access to my name on Rumble. That was kept by my former employer. Uh, so you will find us uh, there, Roundtable Reporter. We'll find the link to it at uh, thedavidknightshow.com. But we're on BitChute. YouTube, Odyssey, and um, a lot of different places. So you'll find all the places where you can support us, where you can hear us. All those links are at thedavidnightshow.com. Let's take a quick look at what happened the Rittenhouse. Hey, quick, before we move on, I just wanted yeah. to give a shout-out to Hoffinson on the DLive chat. Today is her last day at work because she's refusing the vaccine mandate. Oh, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But, uh, you know, there are certain things. I, I really do appreciate you standing for that. Uh, it's people standing one at a time that is going to turn this thing around if we can get it turned around. And so I appreciate you standing up uh, and uh, taking a Spartacus stand. Thank you so much for doing that. And I'm sorry about this. And, and I just, um, you know, we'll keep you in our prayers. And uh, we need to all be praying for this country. And uh, we need to be praying that we will recover the foundations that have been lost in this country as well. Uh, well, thank you for mentioning that, Travis. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened with the Kyle Rittenhouse, and, and it was pretty amazing. I mean, we don't, a lot of times trials are not televised. Uh, <laughs> uh, this trial has kind of gotten a lot of attention. Uh, you know, you have these high profile trials, and uh, uh, this one in particular, it, it should have been called, I think, when you had um, the individual saying, well, yeah, I was uh, uh, on, on the stand, the defense attorney got the person who was shot in the arm uh, admitting that he was coming at the person with a loaded gun pointed at him. Again, you don't point guns at anybody that you're not intending to shoot. Isn't that right, Alec Baldwin? Uh, but in this particular case, uh, certainly there was an intention to do it. It wasn't just accidentally waving a gun around without any muzzle control. Uh, no, he was very intentional about that. And, and so for that reason and a lot of others, uh, but it took some very strange turns, even to the extent that everybody was astonished that his lawyers let him take the stand. He broke down crying. What a heartrending uh, thing that was. It even, um, I think, some people who have looked at this, uh, even some liberals have looked at this and said, uh, well, I think I was wrong about this. But the judge as this was really melting down for the defense, and you saw one of the defense, uh, sorry, for the prosecution, uh, you saw one of the prosecutors after 
<laughs> a person admitted that he was essentially uh, shot by Kyle Rittenhouse uh, in self-defense by Kyle. After he made the admissions of that, you saw one of the lawyers just bury his face in his hands like, oh, no. The other one, on the other hand, decided that he would kind of out of desperation uh, that he would step over the line. And when he did, he got the judge furious. They had already decided uh, certain things were not to be spoken. Uh, For example, the judge had excluded evidence that would argue that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse had a propensity to use a gun. He said that uh, after this guy threw this out, he said, all right, stop, clear the, get the jury out of the courtroom. And uh, the cameras are still rolling in this trial. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, we had this discussion and you did not come back to me and present any evidence after I told you that was going to be excluded. You just threw that back in here. (laughs) He was absolutely furious with him because the issue was, that, uh, as he pointed out, he said um, there was uh, th- this was not something he was not laying in wait for this person. He said it would be relevant. Propensity would be relevant to that if he was like set up in an ambush or something like that. But he said this was something that was unfolding moment by moment. So the propensity argument doesn't have anything to do with this. And then the judge said this. Why would you think that that made it OK for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I I was (laughs) astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're up to. Uh, and, and at one point, the the camera, they got multiple cameras at one point. <laughs> as he's getting dressed down, the camera shows uh, Binger. Uh, and um, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> his mouth is hanging open, uh, speechless as this is happening. So anyway, um, uh, Binger continued his cross-examination <laughs> following a break, uh, during which... Uh, the judge shouted at the prosecution for a grave constitutional violation. The cross-examination was described by defense attorney Mark Richards as the prosecution, quote, commenting on my client's right to remain silent. And uh, then (laughs) later on, the judge said, you've been testifying. Uh, You have been testifying, uh, talking to the lawyer, uh, because the uh, lawyer um, asked Rittenhouse, he says, uh, but wouldn't it, uh, you know, talking about the type of am- ammunition, and he goes, but wouldn't it continue through to other targets, right? But it wouldn't continue through to other targets, right? <clears throat> uh, talking about a hollow point round. And Rittenhouse said, well, I don't know the answer to that. And so then Binger, the same guy that you just saw getting dressed down, said, well, whereas a full metal jacket bullet is specifically designed to continue through its first target and then to keep flying, and uh <laughs> He got interrupted by the judge. He said, first of all, the hollow point is not guaranteed to stay in the first object that it was struck. And he says, so what you said is not correct. And then the prosecutor, Binger, said, there's no testimony on that, Your Honor. And then the judge said, no, but you are testifying. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a very, it's, at this point, one has to uh, really wonder why 
Uh, this trial has not been called, as I pointed out a couple of days ago, with the testimony of the person who was shot in the arm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, these guys don't really have a case here. And uh, now the judge's patience is uh, really wearing thin with their tactics. And I think those tactics are coming out simply because they're desperate. But this is a big case because it's being they're trying to portray this as racism. That's the way this is being portrayed. And this is the way the left media is portraying it. Tulsi Gabbard spoke out about that. She said, uh, this is a very dark tactic that's being used by Democrats to call everybody that they disagree with a racist. And it's also a very dark tactic for them to threaten to dox the jurors. Uh, that, quite frankly, is jury tampering. And I don't understand why the individuals who bragged about doing that, I don't, maybe the judge doesn't know that. As I pointed out a couple of days ago, he had a deputy say, I saw somebody who was there trying to film the jurors. I went over and I made them delete the video. And uh, but, you know, uh, at that point in time, there, there are individuals on social media who said, we're going to dox these people. We're going to photograph them. We're going to dox the jury. That is a direct threat. That, that is a big crime. And maybe they're not aware of that. I don't understand why they're not aware of that. Uh, the AMA. Again, as I pointed out, uh, they have new language guide to put in critical race theory. They want to insert this into every aspect of society, especially into the part of society that has now become the basis for this medical dictatorship. One of the things about the infrastructure bill, as I pointed out yesterday, I said, you know, just like we have civil asset forfeiture where you charge inanimate objects with committing a crime, being an accessory to a crime. Uh, and you just take it, you know, it's the U.S. government versus a stack of cash or the U.S. They have a, you know, say $7,000 or something or the U.S. government versus Learjet, such and such serial number to take it. But, you know, they, they just take it from the person who owns it. They don't convict the person. They don't even charge them with a crime. They charge the inanimate object with a crime. And now they've gotten to the point where they're charging inanimate objects with being racist. Things like roads, things like architecture, everything. I mean, the, the extent to which they've taken this racist charge is beyond absurd. But people are treating it seriously, and they're getting away with this. And so this massive infrastructure bill is um, actually focusing on removing infrastructure that we really do need, roads and other things. Uh, they're destroying roads. Some, In some cases, they're literally taking down overpasses. In other ways, they are restricting road use by narrowing the roads with pedestrian walkways, with uh, bicycle paths, taking what used to be a multiple-lane road and maybe in some cases taking it down to a single lane to make sure that uh, people can't drive through there. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it impossible for you to drive your car. They will do it by attacking the roads, destroying the roads. They're going to spend a lot of money to destroy the roads. Now, they're channeling a lot of money into public transportation. But I can tell you that they're not going to, that's not going to do anything. These people have gotten to the extent where they can't get any projects finished. It doesn't matter if it's going to be a new road or a new tunnel uh, or if it's going to be a new railway system. Our government has gotten so corrupt that they can't build any new infrastructure. Uh, even if it's going to be public infrastructure. But at the same time, they will take the existing roads and destroy them. They will make gas unaffordable. 
and they'll put all kinds of things on uh, our cars to make them unusable and unaffordable. And before we get into this latest um, attack on private transportation, your car, I just want to uh, give you an example of how they are totally focused on surveillance. Uh, this has just been released in the last um, 18 hours or so. This is footage that was collected by the Dallas Police Department, video that was apparently stolen from uh, law enforcement agencies in Texas and in Georgia has been leaked online by a transparency collective called the Distributed Denial of Secrets. Uh, the collective shared 1.9 terabytes of data. They said it consists of 600 hours of aerial footage taken by police helicopters in and around Dallas, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia. The extensive footage reveals the capabilities of military-grade technology behind police surveillance. And everything that these people are doing is about surveillance, tracking, identification. Uh, Emma Best, who was with the collective, said the video footage had been sent to them by anonymous hacker. The unnamed source reportedly targets unsecured data stored in the cloud. And some of the video... Uh, they use infrared tech to look at people inside of buildings with thinner walls. The video provides no justifying context. Uh, she went on to write, I'd post screenshots, but I'm pretty sure Twitter would jump on the excuse and ban me over it. So I'm not. So the bottom line is they're actually looking through walls at people with this military-grade surveillance stuff. I find it interesting that they're doing this in Dallas. In Dallas, of course, the... The Dallas judge there, and a judge in Texas is the highest elected official. I mean, it's not somebody who runs, who operates in a courtroom like we were just talking about with Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, a county judge, uh, think of uh, Judge Roy Bean, if you remember that story out of Texas. Uh, so they have, they're the highest elected official. It's an executive uh, position. Clay Jenkins in Dallas has been at the center of the Ebola uh, thing that happened a few years ago, as well as, of course, he was taking the lead, coming after Shelley Jenkins, trying to destroy her life, destroy her building uh, business. Uh, she did not wear a mask, and so he was going to take this um, single mother who had uh, a, um, a business, I think she was a hairdresser, <clears throat> and he wanted to hit her with thousands of dollars of fines, and uh, he and another individual actually wanted to put her in jail because she rebelled against what he was saying. But he was exactly the opposite when it came to Ebola uh, back in, what was it, 2014 or something? And um, when uh, Ebola came to Dallas in the form of an illegal immigrant from Africa, he was telling everybody it's nothing to worry about with Ebola, right? <laughs> we got a case fatality rate of 80%. Nothing to worry about. Uh, he said, we've got to uh, go to the football games. You know, go to the Dallas-Houston football game. we got lots of doctors, lots of hospitals. This isn't an issue, not at all, with Ebola. But then when it came to this, oh, no, he's going to destroy her life over it. And so now there in Dallas, um, you have military-grade surveillance even looking through buildings with thinner walls. And they said the helicopter zooms in pretty close to a bunch of people's yards. I'm posting it here, but uh, one point... The helicopter focuses on an elderly woman unloading groceries from her car in super high resolution. 
Uh, this is uh, what these people want to do in terms of so- total surveillance and control. They said the Dallas City Council scheduled a closed session yesterday with its lawyers to discuss a potential data breach within the Dallas Police Department, uh, not to stop them from what they're doing, obviously, right? An infrastructure bill uh, that has just been passed that uh, Biden is so happy about, spending over a trillion dollars. And, of course, that's going to help us with uh, inflation, he says. This infrastructure bill has, and it has been reporting for a while, a um, new mandate to put breathalyzers in all cars. And I wanted to take a, a little bit more of a look at this Orwellian technology that they have. Uh, intoxicated drivers would roll out. Uh, uh, it would stop intoxicated drivers as it rolls out in all new vehicles as early as 2026 after the Transportation Department assesses the best form of the technology. And there's a couple of them. And they've been working on this. There's actually an organization that they created uh, to put this together. It's kind of a consortium of different automobile manufacturers, pretty much all of them. Uh, it's the uh, Driver Alcohol Detection System for Safety, Dad SS. <laughs> Think of this as not Big Brother, but a friendly dad. Kind of a dad that works for, I don't know, the Nazi SS. And then you get the picture, right? <laughs> uh, this consortium, this program, Collaborative Research Partnership with 17 automobile manufacturers, uh, BMW, Ford, GM, Honda, Hyundai, Hyundai, uh, Kia, Mazda, Mercedes, Mitsubishi, Nissan, Stellantis, Subaru, Toyota, Volkswagen, Volvo, all basically all of them, all of them in this. And they've got a couple of different ways that they're going to do this. And, and these people, this isn't, you know, when we look at this, it is reprehensible. And it is something that, you know, Biden put in there. But understand, uh, you know, there are Republicans who who voted for this as well. It would not have passed without 13 Republicans in the House. But beyond that, this is something that they've been working. The automobile manufacturers have been working on for quite some time. Why do they want to do this? Because the automobile manufacturers, just like the government, they are they both have the same agenda. They don't want you to own your cars. They don't want you to own cars. They don't want you to buy cars. They want you to rent cars. They want you to rent by the ride. They see themselves not as car manufacturers, but as mobility companies. They're very clear about this. Uh, They're even changing their names to be mobility companies. They want to rent you rides, um, not even rent you cars. And so if they can make it expensive and difficult to use, they're all for that. All what we're seeing here, folks, is a corporatocracy. And these people are maneuvering to number one, consolidate, and then number two, to make sure that the 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 three or the two or the you know companies that are there that they're going to have uh, the best access. And so they work with government. And what the government wants is to uh, take everything from you and track everything that you do. That's what this is about. So they say that um they got about $17 billion allocated to road safety programs. And, of course, you know, this is going to be roadblocks uh, <laughs> and other deconstruction of the road. And when I look at this, again, uh, this has been something that has bothered me for a long time. The fact that we would have uh, sobriety checks and roadblocks that here in Texas you have under certain circumstances, they stop people. 
and they can compel you to do a forced blood draw. So I take a real big ex exception to that because I don't even drink. And I think there needs to be a presumption of innocence. There needs to be a presumption of sobriety. But once you allow these types of things to happen and you embrace this, where does it ultimately take us to? Well, it ultimately takes us to where we are today. You know, if they can stop anybody and make you prove that you are sober, they can stop anybody and make you prove that you don't have COVID or anything else that they decide to test for. And they can lock you up or they can force you to uh, uh, have your blood drawn. We have, in the name of safety, thrown away the rule of law, the presumption of innocence, of due process, and the rest of this stuff for the longest time, and we've done it with cars. And so, uh, you know, they go on to say that, uh, yeah, people die from drunk drivers. And you know the way that you handle that? Because uh, I've seen over and over again, drunk drivers get off without any punishment. They go out and they hire an expensive lawyer. And they treat other things, even, though, even other car violations, far more seriously than they do even repeat drunk driving. And so in the past, uh, one of the things they might do is force you to get a breathalyzer put into your car. Uh, but now they have the the dad SS, <laughs> big brother. <laughs> uh, and they've got two different ways that they're going to be looking at this. Uh, one of them will be in-air alcohol detection, where they'll be testing the breath of everybody in the car. Another one is actually more sophisticated, and it would have you mash a button, as we say in the South. You, know, you might say press a button. We say mash it. And as you're mashing it, <laughs> it's going to analyze uh, your finger and, and the blood in your finger somehow for, uh, for alcohol. I don't know how they do that without actually getting a sample of the blood. But again, this is the uh, DAD SS program, a public-private partnership. Whenever you see that, you know that this is globalism. You know that this is a corporatocracy. Uh, you know they've deputized corporations to work with them in a partnership to take away your freedom. That's what they partner on to take away, to steal from you, to rob you of your money, to rob you of your rights. So this is the Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the 17 different major automobile manufacturers. I think that's pretty much all of them. Uh, they want to have this installed in commercial vehicles by the end of this year, 2021, and in most new cars by 2024. That'll be the model uh, year of 2025. Unlike existing breathalyzers, or interlocks, the DAD SS technology uh, can be implemented into vehicles so there's no physical hardware in the vehicle cabin. A consumer version is still under development and is expected by 2024. Uh, so it will automatically test the breath of drivers and passengers as soon as they enter the vehicle. But then um, they also have a, a different method of doing this, which is a touchpad that would, uh, when the driver presses the stop-start button or whenever the sensor is, wherever it's located, the driver completes the loop and confirms that he or she is the person touching the button. If anyone is not in the driver's seat that presses the button, the circuit will not be closed and the alcohol measurement will not be considered to be valid. The DAD SS system uh, reveals how alcohol-sensing start buttons measure a driver's capillaries to determine how much alcohol is in their body. So not only looking at the air to see how much alcohol is in the air and then making an inference from that. I don't know how they compensate for body weight and a lot of other things, right? 
but then they look at the capillaries in your finger. It analyzes the alcohol found beneath the driver's skin's surface, or more specifically, the blood alcohol content detected in the capillaries. Measurement begins by shining an infrared light on the driver's skin, similar to a low-power flashlight, which moves into the tissue. A portion of the light is reflected back to the skin's surface, where it is collected by a touchpad. The light contains information on the skin's unique chemical properties, including the concentration of alcohol. You see, they have, um, when we look at this, these devices that they have, the technology that they have is, is really pretty stunning. Let me stop and think about it. Uh, and there is no limit to these people in terms of what they should do. And the technology means uh, that they don't have much in terms of any limitation as to what they can do. That's the problem. We have a technology that is a runaway technology. And uh, what we need to have is another Tower of Babel moment. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to thedavidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and Trovo every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. Hear news now at APSRadioNews.com or get the APS Radio app and never miss another story. All right, let's talk a little bit about inflation. And I think uh, this might be at the point where we are right now. Yes. Hyperspace, hyperinflation is where we're headed right now, I think. Uh, inflation has taken away all of the wage gains for workers and then some. The consumer price index is up 6.2% over last October. Three experts discuss what is next for the markets at uh, CNBC. They said what looked like a big jump in workers' wages during October turned into just another gut punch after accounting for inflation. The Labor Department reported Friday that average hourly earnings increased 0.4% in October. Uh, the department reported Wednesday that top-line inflation for the next month increased 0.9%, far more than what had been expected. And that was the bad news, very bad news, in fact, because it meant that all told, real average <clears throat> hourly earnings when accounting for inflation actually decreased 0.5% for the month. So just like the money that you have uh, set in the bank that they're paying you no interest on, you know, that is uh, basically just shriveling up and disappearing. 
Uh, your wages are disappearing, the wage gains. And if that's not enough, Biden is going to allow the, some of the companies to charge you for weekly testing if they even allow you to keep your job, that kind of harassment, uh, punishment that they're going to do. Uh, they will charge you, and based on the different prices that I've seen, that's going to be anywhere from a $1 to $4 an hour hit on people having to pay for their testing. Biden claims the infrastructure bill will help to arrest surging inflation. There you go. How does he figure that? Does that mean that, you know, when they put expensive, ridiculous stuff like this breathalyzer and alcohol detection monitoring interlock system in your car, that uh, people stop buying the cars? I mean, I'm not interested in buying one of those things, even though I could get somebody to disconnect it. It'd just be another one of these safety uh, Nazi things that I've got to disconnect out of my car. It can be done, but... Um, uh, you know, why bother? You know, there's plenty of other cars uh, that are out there that don't, will not have that kind of stuff in it. But, you know, when Biden says that the infrastructure bill is going to help to stop inflation, what he's really doing is uh, uh, the uh, we have uh, Mohammed bin, uh, bin Salman, or the MBS, the guy that tortured uh, his opponent. Everybody talked about that a great deal. Well, uh, MBS... Uh, as he took over the reins of Saudi Arabia, and as they had a very grim future because everybody in the world was saying, we got to get rid of oil, what do they have besides oil, right? Uh, would they start developing uh, some technology, or would they start investing in human resources, training people in science and technology or something like that? No. Instead, what MBS did was he went shopping, he said, well, I'm going to set up this city, and they've already broken ground on it. I mean, this is for real. They're moving ahead with it. They're going to take all their money, and they're going to invest it in a big show city that's going to look like the UN's idealized smart cities of the future. And it's going to have automated this, and it's going to have automated that, and they're going to have, you've seen how they jumped in, and they, they grabbed one of these, uh, you know, robots, quote-unquote, that looks like uh, it escaped, <laughs> assuming that it could move, which it can't. But it looked like it escaped from uh, Disney World 1970, <laughs> you know, talking. Yes, um, and so, you know, they bought one of Sophia, and they gave citizenship to Sophia in Saudi Arabia. What he did was essentially engage in retail therapy. It's like, hey, look, you know, we, we got one product, and that product, uh, everybody in the world is demonizing it and wants it to go away. So I think what we'll do is we'll build, build a big, shiny city, and we'll all feel much better about that. That's what Biden is doing. His infrastructure bill and saying that this is going to fix the problems that we have with the deficit, with inflation surging, it's nothing but retail therapy. It's retail therapy for his political party. It's retail therapy for his cronies. Uh, that's the point at which our government has gotten to, uh, our federal government. All they do is shower massive shiploads of cash onto their friends, just like Trump did with the pharmaceutical companies. You know, they're all paying off their their buddies, their sponsors, their corporate sponsors. And that's all this is. U.S. households, meanwhile, are facing the biggest surge in electricity costs since 2009. Uh, you know, maybe if the grid collapses, we can all save a lot of money. Just look at it that way, you know, as we... <laughs> We already saw this last January in Texas. They got rid of enough fossil fuel and went to their solar uh, solar their solar system, <laughs> and uh, we wound up 
in the dark. Um, the price of electricity in October increased 6.5% from the same month a year ago. Gas went up by 28%. Fuel oil rose 59%. And costs for propane, kerosene, firewood, firewood jumped about 35%. Uh, this is insane, and that's why I'm saying this is we are running into uh, a, a you know getting right up to the edge here of uh, runaway inflation, hyperinflation, and I think it's very interesting as I pointed out yesterday when we were talking to Tony Arterburn, WiseWolf dot uh, Gold about how to start to get into uh, you know gold, silver. Uh, cryptocurrencies. He's got ATMs and things like that. Um, as we were talking about that, I said, you know, look at the fact that you just had, uh, you know, you, you've got Venezuela, which has been a basket case because of the Marxists running that country. Their economy has been. Uh, so they're bringing in crypto, uh, Bitcoin as a currency. And now Zimbabwe, which has been synonymous with hyperinflation, is talking about doing the same thing. You know, when you're, when inflation is eating away your savings, as many people uh, baby boomers going into retirement, many of them already in retirement. Uh, that's being eaten up. If you're on Social Security, you can bet that the government is not going to keep up with inflation. They don't react quickly enough, number one. Number two, uh, they always downplay inflation. So they're, they're not going to accurately reflect the inflation in Social Security. Uh, so I don't know uh, the correct answer to this. I just know that you need to start looking at other ways that you can uh, invest in things. I mean, even in, into real estate, uh, that's not a liquid investment, but it's going to be something that you would think would go up. But then again, you know, we've seen how they can manipulate things. The, the, the scary thing is to see how many people are now in debt enough that they're starting to go further into debt by taking equity out of their homes. And it was only 10 years ago we saw how that worked out, right? Uh, the banks didn't lose anything, but everybody else lost a lot. U.S. food banks are struggling to feed the hungry amid surging prices, says the Associated Propagandist at AP. Supply chain disruptions, lower inventory, and labor shortages have all contributed to increased costs for charities on which tens of millions of people in the U.S. rely on for nutrition. Donated food is more expensive to move because transportation costs are up. And there's bottlenecks at factories and ports. This is why when I, I talked about China coming out and setting off a wave of panic, and they knew it was going to set off a wave of panic. I mean, they knew when they told people, you better stock up for winter because we don't know if we're going to have any food. And, you know, everybody hits it, especially the older people who had lived through Mao's uh, great leap forward, deliberately starving people. Stalin deliberately starved people. And he starved people in the Ukraine, which was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. They're not that incompetent. They use it as a weapon. And don't think that that won't happen here. And all these people say, oh, I don't have to worry about that. Oh, we don't get any food from China. They get food from us. We grow our, you know, and it's on and on and on. Well, how do you think they're going to get the, uh, if you don't start literally growing it yourself, how do you think they're going to get the, food from the farm to the grocery store. There are so many transportation links on everything in our very complicated infrastructure. I mean, it's things are distributed all over the place, and every one of these individual points, and if any one of them are missing an essential ingredient, it doesn't happen. And all of those links of the chain 
are brought together with transportation, and that is hanging by a thread. The cost of canned green beans and peaches is up by 9%. Uh, canned tuna, frozen tilapia, up by more than 6%. A case of fine uh, five-pound frozen chicken for holiday tables is up by 13%. And the price for dry oatmeal, up by 17%. So uh, Wall Street Journal is uh, pushing the panic button about Thanksgiving and supply chain issues. CNN talking about how Americans have never been in so much debt, that the high spending has spurred on even higher inflation. So in all of this, you have Joe Biden referring to, wait for it, iPencil. iPencil. Leonard Reed's essay, and he refers to it not by name, and he doesn't understand what it's about either. <laughs> As Reason Magazine points out, he completely misses the point of iPencil because he is a statist who wants central control of everything. And so he doesn't understand what iPencil is about. I spent probably about 45 minutes talking about that one issue when Donald Trump was running through all this, you're not essential, you're not essential thing, when we had you know farms destroying product on the farms and empty shelves on the grocery store. I said, these people in Washington who are sitting there saying, well, this activity is essential, but that one isn't, they don't understand how this is all interconnected. They want to believe that they're the smartest person in the room, and sometimes they may be. You know, they're very clever. Uh, they're very clever in terms of deceiving people. They're very clever in terms of getting what they want. But the problem is, even if you are Robert McNamara, the whiz kid, the smartest person in the room for real, you don't have, uh, first of all, those types of people don't necessarily have our best interests at heart, as we saw with Robert McNamara, who not only, uh, you know, presided over the disaster of the Vietnam War, but then he went to the World Bank and uh, the, the um, IMF, rather, the, the International Monetary Fund. And then he started pursuing a policy of, wait for it, uh, <laughs> rental, right? He wanted to make everybody uh, indebted. Right. He was he was seeking to put all the developing world in debt. How did he do that? Well, he didn't put them in debt, even claiming that they were going to go into debt building an infrastructure that was going to help them produce anything. Uh, he put them into debt. They called it rent seeking because that's what it was. Uh, he put them into debt by telling them they needed to create a welfare system. And that's a major part of what the so-called infrastructure bill is. Uh, when he would get these third world countries to start spending a lot on social engineering products, on, on uh, social welfare and things like that. Those are things that were not going to get earn them any money that they could pay, ever pay that back. And uh, China has done that in spades with its Belt and Road Initiative. In many cases, they'll get the countries fin swallowed up in debt, and then they'll never finish the infrastructure product uh, that they're paying for, but then they still have to pay off that debt. That is what's going to happen with this infrastructure within the United States. Uh, they're going to pour massive amounts of money into projects that will not be finished and not be functional the same way that um, China did. And one of their pro uh, projects, I forget which one of the, um, uh, the Central American countries it was, but it's like, the, you know, it was going to be a second Panama Canal. I know, was it Nicaragua? I can't remember. Uh, but, um, uh, they didn't get it functional, but they still want to be paid. Uh, 
And, and so when you have really smart people like this, they can be very smart in terms of manipulating you, stealing from you. But even if they had good intentions, and even if they were the smartest people, they don't have sufficient information to make these kinds of decisions. That was the whole point of iPencil and Leonard Reed. And so as Reason Magazine points out, uh, he tries to use iPencil to explain the supply chain problem, but he misses the point. iPencil is an explanation of supply chain issues. It's an explanation of how Trump threw a monkey wrench in, and they've been throwing more and more monkey wrenches, and so has Biden. He's been throwing a truckload of monkey wrenches into the supply chain. Biden said even products as simple as a pencil have to use wood from Brazil and graphite from India before it comes together at a factory in the United States to get a pencil. It sounds silly, but that's exactly how it happens. Reason says yes. It appears the president, or at least one of his speechwriters, has at least a passing familiarity with iPencil, the 1958 essay by Leonard Reed, that offers a first-person perspective, that of a simple pencil, into the incredible supply chains that make even the most common household products readily available. It remains probably the greatest and certainly the most concise defense of the merits of free market and free trade. In other words, kind of the invisible hand aspect. You know, We don't have a central planner that's doing this, but it's the invisible hand of people who are making these decisions. No person manufactured the pencil. As he says uh, in the book, no single person on the face of this earth knows how to make me says the pencil that is talking in his essay. No government busybody or all-seeing CEO directs the complex markets that allow wood, graphite, rubber, bits of metal to be produced, shipped, and combined. No one involved in the process is acting out of an altruistic desire to make pencils for others. Yet each step, each self-interested worker in the process is indispensable. But as for Biden, writes Reason, he referenced iPencil as a way to explain away some of the problems that America's supply chains are currently experiencing. He said, if all of a sudden you have a COVID crisis in Brazil, you can get the same, you, know, you can get the same product because the plants shut down. He said, products like smartphones often bring together parts from France and Italy and chips from the Netherlands and touchscreens from New York State, camera components from Japan before he acknowledged that, quote, global supply chains have helped to dramatically bring down the price we pay for things that we buy. But, and you knew, there had to be a but. It took Biden less than five minutes to toss all that aside and begin promoting the Buy American agenda and to also explain away the fact that he can interject his monkey wrench into everything because he knows better. So Biden is targeting another U.S. pipeline. You want to talk about, maybe we should update this and call it iPipeline <laughs> instead of iPencil. Uh, he is shutting down a pipeline. And the first thing he did when he became president was to shut down a pipeline. And so he's doing another one. But he is begging the Saudis for more oil. Uh, this shutdown, by the way, will cost tens of thousands of U.S. jobs. It will make us dependent on a... Uh, government that is not really our ally. This comes less than two weeks after the White House begged OPEC to increase oil production amid supply issues. How do we get the supply issues? Well, we had somebody who said, I president, and I tell you, you can't do this and that, right? It's a command control, centralized command control economy. That's how you get in these situations. 
to tell people, well, you know, we have something that works and it's cheap and it's a developed technology. And if you don't think it's clean enough, if you think that's a real danger, we can always fix that. And we can fix that by applying a lot less money than it would cost if we were to just completely throw all of that away, start from scratch with a completely different system that still has to have a lot of technological issues ironed out on it. No, no, no. Let's do that. Why? Because he's got friends who have bought in at the ground level of these replacement technologies. And this is what is happening with solar, with wind. It's what's happening with replacing meat that uh, they want to do with you know, these uh, synthetic uh, you know, vegetable and, and uh, synthetic meats and things like that. These people get on the ground floor and then they lobby the politicians that they own to prohibit their competition, which is what is already established. And then um, they ride that new technology up. So you had uh, Jason Hayes, director of environmental policy at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, said they're planning to power an industrial nation like the United States on solar panels and wind turbines. Well, there's a problem with that. They don't want and they don't see the United States as an industrial nation. They see us and they intend for us to be a post-industrial nation. We're not sending anything back to China. That's one of the things that's a problem with the, the shipping backlog and, and the uneven distribution of these shipping containers is that they're not buying anything from us. That's one of the reasons why this is happening so much on the West Coast. That's just one of the many reasons that are happening there. But that is a contributing factor, the fact that these, you know, we're not selling them anything. It's so all these containers are winding up on our side. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, I hope it doesn't end up like this. But where I see it going is unfortunately the same thing that happened in February in Texas. People freezing in their homes most of the time when it's extremely cold or there's a really bad polar vortex situation. Typically, it's pretty cloudy and there's not a lot of wind. Oh, yeah, that's what happened in the UK as well. Australia, meanwhile, has rejected the COP26 climate summit demand to stop selling coal. Oh, by the way, you know that thing, that big um, climate summit? It's still going on, which is another one of the strange things about Gavin Newsom, why he's still not going. You know, this is, uh, uh, is he, uh, he says, oh, I'm perfectly fine. And it was just all a bunch of malarkey or whatever the word was that he used. Uh, but uh, there are many friends who say, no, he was very sick. Uh, none of his excuses make any sense. He looked kind of peaked. He's sitting still, and he's as he's talking, his hands seem to be shaking a little bit. I don't know, but I, I suspect that there is something else going on with this because this is such a big deal, this climate summit. They all want to be there. They all want to schmooze with the Jeff Bezoses and the other people who can give them cash. And uh, Australia, meanwhile, has uh, be, because they're not China, and because they're not India, they've been told by this climate summit that Australia needs to stop selling coal to people. And they say, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Bill Gates and his new world order. Stay with us. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. 
their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com If you like the Eagles, on a dark desert highway, the cars, and Huey Lewis in the news. They say the heart of rock and roll is You'll love the Classic Hits channel at APS Radio. Download our app or listen now at APSRadio.com. Just a couple of things I want to say before we get into uh, uh, Gates and his admission about viral transmission uh, still happening with the vaccine and uh, what he wants to do with the UN in terms of locking us down, his global ID is really what this all folds into. I liked uh, what the headline from RT talking about this climate conference that's ongoing. It says, Millionaire with many homes calls for you to make sacrifices to save the planet. Well, that could apply to any of these people attending it. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're politicians or if they're, uh, you know, well, I guess the politicians are the millionaires. The billionaires are the um, technocrats that are there. But this millionaire with many homes is Barack Obama. And, of course, one of the homes that he has, you can go to a website that says, well, this is where all the areas that we think are going to be underwater because the polar ice caps are going to melt and we're all going to be flooded. And so they, you can go and they'll tell you, you know, based on our projections, all these areas will be underwater. Well, of course, it's where you have people like Obama buying mansions, multimillion-dollar mansions in areas that – if their climate projections were true, would be underwater. So he clearly doesn't believe it. Uh, the um, Biden administration is considering shutting down a Michigan oil pipeline and yet another push to push the U.S. away from fossil fuels, despite warnings from Republican lawmakers who believe the move would result in fuel price shocks throughout the Midwest. See, those of us who've lived through uh, OPEC, when it flexed its muscle the first time and created a oil shortage, I've shown many times the, uh, you know, b- because they created an artificial shortage, the response to that was Time and Newsweek telling everybody, well, that's it. So we, we've got to go to other sources of energy because we've reached peak oil and peak gas. And we don't have enough oil to last us, they said, in 1979. I've shown, you know, the magazines many, many times. We're going to be out of oil by the middle of the 1980s, and the same thing with gas. In terms of coal, we will have coal in for another 666 years. 666, they said. Uh, so we don't have anything to worry about with that. 
And so the response to OPEC creating an artificial shortage was, okay, well, now we got to move over to uh, something else. Oh, here they are. Okay, great. Thank you, Travis. Yeah, here we are. The Energy Crisis, Newsweek, July 16th, 1979. And as I've pointed out many times, you know, you can see the charts where they um, – they talk about dependence. We got energy dependence. We're dependent on the Saudis. We don't want to be dependent on the Saudis. And look at this. Why we must act now, right? And they show how many years we've got of oil, gas, and coal. 666 years of coal. Well, we're going to fix that, aren't we? Uh, we've got John Kerry saying we're not going to have coal by 2030. Now, this isn't a projection that was wrong, like Newsweek and these other people. He's going to make sure we don't have any coal because he's going to make sure you can't get it out of the ground. They're just going to prohibit it. We're talking about prohibition here. You know, the same people who brought us the war on drugs for 50 years, the same people who tried uh, with futility to prohibit alcohol. Uh, they're going to prohibit coal now. Uh, they don't want us to have energy. And as Obama is putting this out, he talks about it as being sacrifice. He says, all of us have a part to play. All of us have work to do. All of us have sacrifices to make. But those of us who live in wealthy nations, those of us who help to precipitate the problem, we have an additional burden. And as they point out in RT, when he says we, what he really means is you. When he says burden, what he means is you. He's not going to be burdened with anything. These people do uh, everything that they're doing now and more because they're using this phony crisis to accumulate and to consolidate wealth and power just as they've used this phony crisis of the pandemic to do the same thing and doing the same exact, uh, with the same goals, the same policies that they'd already always said they needed to do with because of climate. So John Kerry is saying the U.S. will have no coal by 2030 because he's going to get rid of it. Meanwhile, China's coal output has hit a multi-year high as this climate conference continues. They continue to use it, and they have rejected uh, these people telling them that they can't use it. They said, no, no thanks. I think we'll go ahead and do it anyway. Go ahead and make me. And they're not even, they're not even calling for them to uh, cap it uh, for quite some time. You know, they want not only a capping, but a reduction for America, for Europe, other uh, developed countries. They want to de-industrialize us. And that's really the issue. That's why I say the other guy got it wrong. This is not about, well, they somehow want us to operate off of solar power as an industrialized nation. No, they don't want us to be an industrialized nation. They don't want us to have anything, as a matter of fact. Uh, Bill Gates, as I said, admitted in a long interview, admitted a couple of things. He talked about how the vaccines don't stop transmission. Uh, he admitted that they are a failure as far as that goes. Here's what he had to say. Economic damage, the, you know, the deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, they don't reduce new it at all. way of doing the vaccine. They don't reduce it at all. As a matter of fact, we've had massive economic destruction that they inflicted on us. We've had deaths in a lot of different ways based on a lot of medical malpractice, denying health to people until they get into critical uh, situations or making them. Uh, as I pointed out yesterday, that heartbreaking story 
uh, coming out of California where they would not allow the family to get the mother, who was 65 years old, they wouldn't let her out of the hospital. Even after she was no longer testing positive, they kidnapped her, essentially. Because after they had identified her as a COVID patient, whatever they do, whatever they charge her for, they weren't doing anything to help her, but whatever they charged her for, they could get a 20% bonus on that. And uh, so they wanted to keep her there. And when they finally got in to see her, they found two dozen, two to four, uh, three dozen uh, maggots coming out of her nose, coming out of her mouth, and the son was just in tears talking about uh, the condition that she was in. She died shortly after that. Just stick them over on the side, give them no health care, no sanitary care whatsoever, just collect the money. Cash cow. I mean, this really is like soil and green, isn't it? And so this is what they want to impose upon us. They want to impose these vaccine mandates to block transmission, except he says, we don't have any vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you, but they only slightly reduce transmission. We have to have a new way of doing the vaccines. So uh, we've now had him, as well as Walensky, as well as Lancet in the UK, as well as Boris Johnson, many, many other people are saying that. And yet that information is not being understood. It's not being repeated by the mainstream media, by the government, and they just ignore that. They shelve that. Uh, Bill Gates is permitted to make such a statement without any recourse. Anybody else who says that, right, if I were to say that, you know, Bill Gates can say it, Walensky can say it, they won't repeat it on CNN, on Fox News, on Newsmax. Instead, uh, if you say it on social media, you'll get struck down. If you say it on YouTube, you'll get censored, which is what they have done to me. Seven times they've kicked me off. YouTube recently broadened its censorship policy to ban all medical and vaccine so-called misinformation, which means anything that gets in the way of vaccine only. It specifically includes a ban on any claims that vaccines do not reduce transmission or contraction of disease. So do you think that they're going to ban this off of YouTube? Are they going to ban Bill Gates off of YouTube? <laughs> uh, the interview in which Bill Gates states the COVID-19 vaccines are not effective at reducing viral transmission, is hosted on their platform, has not been removed. And, um, yeah, it's uh, – uh, he uh, also talks about what he wants to do in terms of growing global government. He talks about germ games as well. Uh, he said um, what he wants to do – is he wants to get politicians planning for future pandemics. I mean, they planned for this one for 20 years, going back to dark winter. They rehearsed it for 20 years, exactly what they were going to do. They did the first one two months before 9-11. Then they had the anthrax attack the week after 9-11. Two months after that, they pushed out the Model State Health Emergency Powers Act because they didn't want to have challenges in the court to the federal government pushing this stuff out. But now you got Biden there. He's pretty bold. He wants to push against the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. But they had about, um, you know, the vast majority of states, it was uh, well into, I think it was uh, 30 some, some odd states that passed a lot of different powers that they used this last year on the basis of the emergency declaration to essentially create a medical martial law. They practiced on that for uh, every year annually, at least once with Johns Hopkins and uh, with the CDC and the usual suspects uh, given money by Bill Gates to do that as well. So he says, um, building on the back of 2020's concerted effort, 
We have to have international bodies establish medical surveillance programs. Everything is about surveillance. Everything is about ID, and everything is about depopulation. It's about medical dictatorship. This is the issue of our time, a medical dictatorship. And I tell you that if we do not pass, push back against this, our children, and it's not just our children and our grandchildren, we will live in a, um, a state of slavery to these people. They have declared their intention to take everything from us, and in a very short period of time, they're going to have their newest society established by 2030. That means they're going to have it done sometime before then. They're moving towards that very, very rapidly. And we need to start building our society. What will we base it on? What values will we base it on? Will we have something that can stand on its own, that can be attractive to people, that is focused on our, our rights and our liberties as human beings, and not something that is focused on fear and domination, which is what they are trying to build their society on, to build it on our backs. He said, we're going to have to have international bodies that will establish medical surveillance programs and begin to practice responding to possible biological threats using a series of germ games. And are we doing things now, or rather, are we not doing things now that we really need to be doing in preparation for the next pandemic? Yeah, so it's 2015 that I gave the uh, TED Talk and wrote a number of papers uh, titled, We're Not Ready uh, for the Next Pandemic. And sadly, that was uh, a better forecast of what would happen than uh, anyone would have wished for. You know, the economic damage, the, you know, the deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the... R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, a new way of doing the vaccines. We didn't get much in the way of therapeutics. Uh, you know, dexamethasone and now uh, molnupiravir uh, could help, but way less than, than should have been the case. We didn't get the diagnostics up and running in order to, you know, achieve what at least Australia and New Zealand showed that uh, competent management could keep the death rate down uh, pretty dramatically. Competent and so management? In five years, I can write a book <laughs> called, you know, we are ready for the next pandemic, but it'll take tens of billions in R&D uh, that the U.S. and the U.K. will be part of that. It'll take probably about a billion a year for a pandemic task force at the WHO level, which is doing the surveillance and actually doing what I call germ games, where you practice. You say, okay, what if uh, a bioterrorist brought smallpox to 10 airports? You know, how would the world respond to that? Uh, you know, that there's naturally caused epidemics and bioterrorism caused epidemics that could even be way worse than what we experience today. And yet, the advances in medical science should give us tools that you know we we could do dramatically better. So you'd think this would be a priority. It it the next year will be where those allocations have to get made. Well, if you want to protect the future, if you want to guarantee against future pandemics, the first thing you need to do is shut down these madmen 
like Francis Collins and Fauci and Gates, you shut down their gain-of-function research because that's where it's going to come from. And uh, you heard him say, we have to have competent management like Australia and New Zealand. He's the only person in the world that thinks that's competent. Everybody else sees this as some of the most over-the-top draconian uh, revolution against all of the liberties and the rule of law that have been established over the last thousand years in Western civilization. All of that has been overturned by what he calls competent management. Let me tell you what he wants to do. This is a picture of where he wants to go. Uh, And you'll find this at childrenshealthdefense.org. I've talked about the identification system in India many times, the Aadhaar system. The Aadhaar system, uh, and, and they've been able to go into these poorer countries like India and essentially have their way. What they did was they set up the Aadhaar system. Uh, it's a number for everybody, a government number for everyone, uh, a mark of the beast system for everybody. You take the government's number, and then uh, that's your ticket to getting food and to doing everything. And they rolled more and more services into that, going after the poorest uh, sectors of society first, the people who had no money, no way to get food. Well, you take the number and we're going to use this for surveillance, as he said. And now what you have happening is death by starvation. You know, uh, Klaus Schwab is talking about the next aspect of this. He's talked about his fourth industrial revolution, written a book on that. He talked about the Great Reset. He's written a book on that. Uh, They openly talk about how five years ago, or six years ago now, 2015, they talked about how by 2030, you'll own nothing, you'll go nowhere, we'll deliver the food that you're allowed to eat, but it won't be meat, and on and on and on. And they openly brag about that. Now, his next thing, you know, they've talked about Cyber Polygon. What happens when they take down the Internet system uh, as they're wargaming to do that and practicing to do that? But he's also going to be talking about, he's got another book coming out called The Great Narrative. The Great Narrative. And he talks about how, you know, we really do underestimate the power of narrative. Well, we don't after this last year. We don't underestimate what they can do when they take over all the information sources, when they can lie to us constantly. And even though uh, we don't believe it anymore than the people in the Soviet Union believe Pravda or Izvestia, truth or news. They said there's no truth in Pravda, no news in Izvestia. They didn't believe it either. Uh, And they didn't even have social media to be able to talk to each other. And in many ways, They were better off than we are because we rely on social media. The people in the Soviet Union were able to speak to each other at least and with, uh, you know, communicate via gestures and, you know, oh, yeah, eye rolls or whatever. Being able to do that was, I think, even more effective than uh, what little speech remains to us on social media. But... um, Uh, When you look at what they want to institute and how powerful it is for them to have a narrative, this is why we talk about the cases of people who have been killed, who have been damaged by these vaccines. Look at what has happened with the Aadhaar system. Death by starvation. And Children's Health Defense Fund has three stories. The first one, uh, death by starvation. A 67-year-old widow, and they give her name, I won't attempt to pronounce this Indian name, uh, from the rural Indian state of Jharkhand, I guess is how you pronounce that, might have passed without notice if it had not been part of a more widespread trend. 
like 1.3 billion of her fellow Indians, Devi had been pushed to enroll in a biometric digital ID system called Aadhaar in order to access personal services, including her monthly allotment of 25 kilograms of rice. Uh, so we're talking about with that is um, a little bit over 50 pounds. When her fingerprint failed to register with the shoddy system, she was denied her food ration. Throughout the course of the following three months in 2017, she was repeatedly refused food until she succumbed to hunger alone in her home. Uh, Pramani Kumar, a 64-year-old woman, also from the same area, Jharkhand, met the same demise as Demi, dying of hunger and exhaustion the same year after the Aadhaar system transferred her pension payments to another person without her permission, while cutting off her monthly food rations. A similarly cruel fate was reserved for Satoshi Komari, an 11-year-old girl, also from Jharkhand, uh, uh, Jarkhand, who reportedly died begging for rice after her family's ration card was canceled because it had not been linked to their Aadhaar digital ID. Now, Aadhaar was very important for Bill Gates. He loves this. Uh, he uh, participated in this, um, and uh, uh, but the central person working in it was another billionaire uh, out of India by the name of Nandan Nalakani. He's been hailed as a hero by Bill Gates. Bill Gates loves this system. Uh, and again, they've had some involvement in it. But uh, uh, he has always been about a global ID. He actually talked about the Aadhaar system. And again, it's a biometric identification uh, system as well. He's talked about it. And he said, you know, the problem that uh, people around the world have is that they don't have an ID. No, the problem is when you make an ID for everybody in the world and when you make everything that they get contingent on that mark of the beast. So, um, as I point out, with more than a billion Indians in its database, the Aadhaar system is the largest biometric digital ID program ever constructed. Besides serving as a portal to government services, it tracks users' movements between cities, it tracks their employment status, and their purchasing records. It is a de facto social credit system that serves as the key entry point for accessing services in India. I just have to say, as we move forward to the central bank digital currency that they want to impose, you know that, that will have biometric aspects to it as well. They'll have to say, they'll have to make it biometric because that'll be the way they'll, they'll demand that uh, for security purposes. Uh, that's why they've started putting in these biometric aspects into the Apple phone and these other things uh, several years ago. Uh, you know, for security, of course. This is why you have Microsoft and the BBC and uh, other mainstream media working together with CPU manufacturers like Intel and ARM, uh, working together with the application uh, applications that create content, whether it is uh, written articles, whether it is uh, uh, photographic uh, pictures, memes, or whether it is audio, or whether it is audio and video. You know, they're working with um, Adobe and other content creators. And the point of all of that is that it's a coalition for content provenance and authentication. Right? They want to authenticate who you are. 
They want to know where this document came from. That's the provenance. They want to track this back. And uh, so they want to identify each and everything. Everything will go into the uh, Internet of Things. All things will be identified and inventoried by these people who own everything. And that includes the people. That's what these billionaires want. They're not doing this to help anybody any more than uh, uh, Obama when he says, we must all sacrifice. He's not talking about sacrificing. This is what they're doing to you. Uh, so having branded its creator, fellow billionaire, a hero, uh, Bill Gates has sought to bring this approach to other countries. The implementation of immunity passports is accelerating the establishment of a global digital identity infrastructure. And, of course, he had put together ID 2020, where he wanted everybody to have a global ID by 2020. They've laid the foundation for that for sure. The CEO of a company here in America that partners with Homeland Security, they're a contractor for Homeland Security. The company is iProve. It is a biometric ID company. They told Forbes, quote, the evolution of vaccine certificates will actually drive the whole field of digital ID in the future. So they said, and this is the CEO of a company producing the biometric ID. He says, so therefore, this is not just about COVID. This is about something even bigger. If I were to say that, and I have said that over and over again, I'm labeled a conspiracy theorist. It is a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy by these people. And uh, it is something that is criminal, in my opinion. And that's what this is about. This is not about a virus. This is about getting everybody vaccinated. And the vaccine, although it has a lot of the elements that they want to uh, employ there, it is also tied um, into this identification and control agenda as well. Uh, we've had, and I've talked about the individual in Lithuania. There's an update from him. Now that they have not been vaccinated in Lithuania, the same types of things are happening to them that happened to these people in India with the Aadhaar system. The guy who is still able to get into social media and saying, we can't go anywhere, we can't get food, I can't get a job. You know, they're, they're trying to live in the cracks there, but it is virtually impossible because this vaccine mandate and passport system has impoverished them and kick them out of society. We cannot allow this to happen. We have to stand together collectively to oppose this in every way possible. Do not comply with this. In Indonesia, COVID vaccine passports or COVID vaccines are mandatory, and those who refuse may face fines or be refused access to public services. In Greece, Residents must present immunity to work or to enter bars, theaters, and other indoor public spaces. France has similar requirements for residents to carry health passes for access to all restaurants, bars, trains, any venue accommodating more than 50 people. Italy has mandated its green pass for all workers, threatening them with termination from jobs and suspension of pay. Italy also requires a pass to use Italian public transportation. Scenes of private security and its over-enforcement of the Green Pass and the exclusion of Italy's elderly from vital services have already begun to go viral on social media. Do you believe that this is about health? Come on. Come on. This has nothing to do with public health. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. This has always been the dream of the technocrats. 
always been the dream of the technocrats. You had uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski writing a book about it, Between Two Ages. He said, in the coming technocracy, we'll know everything about you. We'll be able to track everywhere you're going. As a matter of fact, we will identify your patterns and we'll know what you're going to do before you do it. For that, he was rewarded. He was set up and he created the Trilateral Commission. They handpicked him to run the Carter administration. They know exactly what they're doing. That was back in the 70s, 50 years ago. Uh, so Italy has their Green Pass system. Re- restrictions for Lithuanians, as the self-described Lithuanian father, who's refused vaccination, stated on Twitter, with no COVID pass, my wife and I are banished from society. We have no income. We're banned from most shopping. We can barely exist. Four out of 10 Canadian provinces currently require citizens to show proof of vaccination against COVID-19 to enter indoor public venues. And Bill Gates wants it to be wider. We have to have more of this. The Gates Foundation recently helped fund a WHO paper providing, quote, implementation guidance for proof of vaccination certifications around the world. They crafted the paper alongside the Rockefeller Foundation with guidance from the World Bank. And according to Foreign Affairs, quote, few policy initiatives or normative standards set up by the WHO are announced before they have been casually, unofficially vetted by the Gates Foundation staff. Bill Gates' priorities have become the WHO's priorities, said another source telling Politico back in 2017, before he was even the largest contributor to the World Health Organization. He owns them, just like he owns politicians and governments. It's not just these non-governmental organizations. It is the governmental organizations that are owned by him. One of these illustrations in this Children's Health Defense Fund uh, story. Share your vaccination status by wearing an immunoband around your wrist. See this? See that? Look at that picture. Now, I, it was a um, uh, goat tree we had on a couple of days ago. He showed me the green wristband. The people that he was working with as a contractor. And, of course, you know, they're not in the wristband business. Uh, they're in the uh, digital <laughs> Uh, cybersecurity business and things like that. But he said, this is what they're planning on everybody. Tests and having this as a permission or some kind of a pass or a vaccine. Put that out in March before the lockdown and the emergency began with Trump. We knew where this was headed. Uh, It was interesting to see that. And here it is. Here it is. Uh, More than uh, 700 days later. A few policy initiatives or normative standards set by the WHO are done without his priority. At the forefront of the shift to digital credentials is the World Economic uh, Forum. The forum is involved in the WHO task force to reflect those credentials standards and about how they would be used. As a matter of fact, it was early summer of 2020 that I showed you the plans of the World Economic Forum, they had uh, had a you know a, a flowchart laying this all out: how you get uh, tested and or vaccinated at a local area uh, with trusted sources, and how it goes up through uh, the uh, reporting system, and then is sent to their central database. I said we have to have that because we've got to have a central global database of everybody's ID, so we can know who can travel and what the situation is. So we have to have it to make sure that. We don't have people who have not uh, gotten the, uh, the uh, soylent genes injected. We've got to make sure that they don't travel. And so we've got to have a central database, and we got it here. We've even got the app. They even created the app. 
Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab and his people doing that. So in India, the tech oligarchs are using digital ID to force social credits on the rural poor. And they are excluding them from society. They're starving them to death in some cases. In 2015, the Gates Foundation provided seed money to the Yale School of Public Health for a project that would become known as Cushy Baby. It's now a nonprofit, and Cushy Baby makes microchip-equipped necklaces for a child to wear at all times to track their vaccination status and to establish continuous monitoring from their first immunizations through adulthood. In 2016, Idemia, the security firm now working with the French government on vaccination identity and verification, designed the microchip-equipped necklaces. The necklaces have been used to track health data for 13 million people in India since the beginning of the pandemic. Digital identification is the key to inclusive growth, said the global consulting firm McKinsey in 2019. And, of course, they don't go into it in that story, but it was in the fall of 2019, just before they rolled out this uh, pandemic panic. Uh, Gates had funded with MIT the tattoo vaccination combination that had uh, luciferase in it so they could vaccinate you with needles that um, you would press onto your skin. They said it would feel like Velcro because the needles would go deep enough to inject the vaccine, but not far enough that you would sense it with your nerves. And then it would leave behind something that could be uh, identified with a particular light. So it would be a tattoo that you would only, would only uh, show up if you hit it with a particular light. Uh, that was a public patent. Uh, they bragged about it. MIT bragged about it. It was funded by Bill Gates. That's where this is all headed. 5G is just a part of it. They do not care about any health effects of the vaccines. They do not care about the health effects of 5G. It is all about tracking and surveillance. And it is also about depopulation. Dailyskeptic.org out of the UK has a postcard from Genoa, Italy. This is a uh, British uh, publication. And uh, this is uh, something that uh, somebody sent them, uh, kind of a, a reader sent this to them. This guy's name is Roger Watson. He's a professor of nursing from the University of Hull, but he had a short teaching stint at the University of Genoa. And he was talking about what it was like to travel into Italy. He said, uh, you may enter Italy unvaccinated after the requisite COVID tests and then a period of quarantine, but thereafter, freedom does not beckon. <laughs> As wherever you step out of quarantine, you will remain indefinitely. No form of public transport, such as trains, buses, or internal flights are permitted without displaying a euphemistically named Green Pass, Italy's vaccine passport. If anyone from the U.K. wants to see what the introduction of vaccine passports will be like, then Italy is already there. Mask wearing is strongly enforced on public transport with repeated uh, mascarina messages over the PA system. Social distancing is requested, too, but the one exception was taxis, where, ironically, you can be squeezed into very close proximity with your fellow passengers without the benefit of any social distancing. The situation is exacerbated by the fact that passengers are not allowed to travel in the front of the taxi beside the driver, so it was common for three people to be arse-cheek-by-jowl in the back. <laughs> On one journey, 
I was asked to wear masks. I was asked to mask up in a taxi that had no functioning seatbelt. <laughs> there we go. We're back to the seatbelt analogy. But did he have to wear a motorcycle helmet when he was in the taxi? That's what I want to know. Two, of course, to protect the people in the other cars, not himself. Uh, one uh, other person writing into the Daily Skeptic, British, I will not be tricked into having yet another jab so that I can travel. Just when I thought we were finally done with all the audacity, a fresh plate of it is served. Less than a year after the vaccine drive launch, being double jabbed isn't good enough anymore. Syringes at the ready. Health Secretary Javid is already making thinly veiled threats about not enjoying Christmas again. Unless, quote, we all come together and play our part in the booster regime. On top of that, mere months after the half-hearted revival of travel, the validity of our COVID passes are under threat. Austria and Switzerland have joined Israel in limiting entry to those who are, are not willing to get another dose. And the UK's official guidance was updated earlier this month to say the government is, quote, reviewing the implications. We are reviewing the implications. <laughs> Sounds like Fagan from Oliver, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reviewing the situation. That sounds an awful like, a lot like uh, an all-but-mandatory third helping of a substance that doesn't prevent me from catching a virus and which isn't even a danger to me and won't prevent me from spreading it to others. Ah, well, you may say, in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, what's one more concession? She says, but equally, where does one draw the line between doing silly things in order to be more agreeable and uh, to be a more agreeable human, and then all out refusing to comply on principle. Because, see, she's had two of these things, and now she's looking at this and saying, wait a minute, I was had. They're never going to stop with this. Uh, she says, my father, who was a lawyer based in Australia with a background in science and engineering, is about the most rational person I know and the last person I would expect to be an anti-vaxxer. But for the same reason as many others, a total lack of trust in the way this pandemic has been handled, He's taken an even firmer stance than I have in refusing it altogether. It means that he can't step foot on a plane ever again. Qantas, the nation's flag carrier, has made it compulsory for all passengers to be double-jabbed. It is his position, however, that if he holds out long enough, perhaps by the time we're on our seventh round of boosters, the government will give up on the mass-scale behavioral tricks and the COVID jab will be relegated to the status of the flu shot. Let's understand. That's what this is about. The people in New Zealand that uh, that Gates was saying had managed this so well. Well, we got thousands of people there protesting. Happened over the weekend. Uh, 3,000 people not wearing masks made their way through the city's, uh, uh, the capital city's center, including dozens of motorcyclists and biker gang regalia performing burnouts. <laughs> they were yelling and screaming about Jacinda Arden. Uh, look, folks, if, uh, again, talking about the motorcyclists there, we've had Sturgis happen a couple of times every time it happened. Oh, yeah, everybody's going to die. With football games, nobody, nobody's paying attention to any of this stuff when they're doing their politics or these other things. We know that this is over. It's over. What's not over is the pandemic to start with, what it was all about in the first place. It was all about this. I don't mind if you big. I don't mind if you small. I know you'll be back again and again and again. I'm 
said before we had a uh, gavin newsom is putting out an appearance putting on a brave face a lot of people are not buying it a lot of people are still saying no I, i've been told by a lot of individuals that he had a mild a reaction bell's palsy uh, or guillain beret is really what they're saying not bell's palsy uh so uh he appeared at a wedding um after he had disappeared for over a week and as i point out you know this is uh, this global confab that is everything that he wants to be a part of right and it is still going so why isn't he going and he said, well, you know, um, I've, I've been seen as a father of the year by my kids because I hung around. I skipped the global conference to uh, go trick-or-treating with them, except nobody has any pictures of him trick-or-treating. They do have a picture of him at the wedding on November the 6th, but he dis- disappeared from October the 27th. He had gotten a flu shot on October the 22nd, and then five days later he got a booster shot. And um, so whatever happened to him... Uh, we do have reports of many people who have come down with Guillain-Barre syndrome. A teen diagnosed with it after the COVID vaccine said she's thankful that she hasn't been paralyzed and that she didn't die, but she still can't walk. She's hoping that she'll be able to walk by March so she can go to her graduation. Uh, out of uh, Jackson, Tennessee, Shelby Allen, 17 years old. She said she started experiencing back pain and tingling in her arms a few weeks ago at a wedding. Her system, her sy- symptoms progressed until she found herself unable to feel her arms and legs while bowling. She said, I'm on a bowling team, and I noticed that when I was throwing the ball, I couldn't feel my arms and legs, so I was freaking out. They took her to a doctor. She, he, uh, they diagnosed her with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, and um, uh, we have seen this uh, with other vaccines as well. Uh, this one has a different uh, set of symptoms that we've not seen before, and that is the blood uh, issues, the blood clotting issues, too many blood clots or bleeding in some cases, but mostly it is a, an increase in blood clots. Uh, that and the heart issues, these are unique to this particular vaccine, and they are not rare. In uh, one story from Vaccine Impact, a grieving mother had threatened Health Impact News for publishing their daughter's death following a shot, and this was back in February. Uh, she had put this up on her Facebook page. Her daughter, 28-year-old, Haley Link Brinkmeyer, had just finished her PhD. She'd gotten married in 2018, and she died two days after getting the Moderna injection. Uh, The story got out to the public because her mother announced it on the Facebook page that she had died just after taking the Moderna shot. They said uh, at Health Impact News, after we published it, her mother took down her Facebook page and emailed Health Impact News, demanding that we take down our article and threatening us with legal action. She said, immediately take down my daughter's information you've published without my consent. This is a very hard time for our family, and seeing this published without our permission is very traumatic. 
Haley's father is an attorney, and we will do what is necessary to hold you accountable. They said we did not comply since it was legal, public information. And these stories were just starting to surface back in February. We felt a greater responsibility to warn the public, trying to save as many lives as possible from these horrendous injections. Today, somebody emailed me and asked me to publish the uh, recent testimony in Indiana where she has finally gone public with her daughter's tragic story. We're glad that she's made this decision, and we pray that this will bring healing to her and to her family. On our network alone, her daughter's story has been read by over 100,000 people and was published in many other places as well. It's important for us to get this information out. It's so important that they have gone to unbelievable lengths to silence us, isn't it? An Illinois hospital has defied a court order repeatedly denying a patient's pleas for life-saving ivermectin. And we have seen this story over and over again. We've seen stories where they have uh, been compelled in Massachusetts to uh, provide this to a woman who was already in, she was in her 80s. Uh, they thought that it was going to be too late for her. She was um, already intubated on a ventilator, and yet they were able to get it to her. They had to get a court order from a judge to do it, and they said, we're not going to do it. So the judge said, all right, you let this doctor do it. The doctor did it, and she recovered. Um, and But she had been given one dose by a nurse there. They just came in and said, look, you know, uh, can you at least give this to her as a personal favor? Once the hospital found out, they blocked it because they don't want anybody to know, A, how dangerous these vaccines are, and B, how effective cheap things that have been around forever like ivermectin are. So they drew the line at that point. It took a judge to do it. That patient recovered. But I've seen several stories where they were able to delay this long enough in court that even after uh, they were able to get the uh, the... the ivermectin or whatever it was that they wanted to give the patient, it was too late and they died. Uh, so in this particular story, it took three different court orders to get this Illinois hospital to relent. They blocked the physician from coming in even after the second judge's order, second time the judge gave them an order. I don't know why he didn't hold them in contempt, actually. Uh, but anyway, they uh, finally uh, after a third order, they finally allowed uh, the individual to uh, get it. Um, and, uh, you know, this is uh, nothing better illustrates, I think, the fact that the FDA has absolutely no integrity. Nothing better illustrates the regulatory capture, the fact that they are literally controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. Nothing illustrates that better than the fact that they, the FDA, were the ones behind this ridiculous story about it being horse dewormer. This is approved for human use. They won a Nobel Prize for using it for human use. What we're talking about here is an FDA-approved drug. They know what the safety profile is of it. They are ignoring the safety profile of these jabs. So they know the safety profile. Uh, this is just using it off-label. And that type of thing happens all the time with doctors, or at least used to. And uh, for that, the FDA comes back and calls it a horse dewormer. They know that's not the case. It is a blatant lie. Now, looking at, um, at uh, uh, Breitbart, it's kind of interesting to see uh, how off the rails John Nolte has gone. Now, John Nolte is somebody who typically covers culture and he covers movies, and I think that may explain 
uh, some of his orientation. But he's become perhaps the biggest vaccine cheerleader I've seen anywhere. And so he puts out a Texas study saying unvaccinated people are 40 times more likely to die from coronavirus. Uh, Well, that's in hospitals where they're being denied effective treatment, perhaps, right? Because we have contradictory stories coming from one place. For instance, also on Breitbart, masked up California is reporting four times more daily cases than Florida. See, the issue about all these treatments, as I pointed out, even judges mandating this to people, it is key, as uh, Zelenko, who came up with the idea, hey, Uh, We can have something, hydroxychloroquine is one thing, ivermectin is another, quercetin is another. We've got things that are ionophores that will help your body to assimilate zinc. And so that, along with some other natural uh, supplements, he said you catch it early, you catch it early, and you uh, give people things that will help them to assimilate zinc, and you supplement it with zinc and vitamin C and other things. We kept all of our people out of the hospital. If you get into the hospital... If they can get that money, they want to keep you there as long as they can, and they don't care about the outcome. They'll shove you over to the side until you got maggots coming out of your nose and mouth, literally, literally. This kind of financially incentivized medical malpractice has now gone over the top. Um, but um, uh, when we look at the, um, the pushback against this, we have one teacher, actually a couple of them in Illinois, one teacher placed on unpaid leave for defying the mandate, was actually vaccinated all along. And eventually gave in, said, I wanted to get this to court, but uh, this math teacher uh, in Illinois, uh, they would not give her a day in court. But there is a music teacher also there pushing back against Governor Pritzker's mandates. Remember, I pointed out earlier in the program the fact that they've gone in and erased a law that supported religious liberty They had that law in there to keep people from being compelled to give people an abortion. And what they're saying is, well, we're going to remove that because we don't want anybody getting a religious exemption using abortion-tainted cannibal medicine. And so now they're presumably going to force people to do abortions as well as to take the product of these abortions as well. But a music teacher, Kingsley Keys. Now, that's great. I mean, wouldn't you want to have a music teacher named Keys? Said in a statement, Quote, this forced compilation as a condition of employment stands in stark contrast to the very impetus for informed consent and legislated medical autonomy. Rights that are replete throughout the federal and state statutes legislated to counter overreach. Historically, you've never been forced into compliance by the good guys. As a matter of fact, that's how we know this is demonic because it is set up to dominate and to enslave people. God doesn't do that. He frees us. He goes on to say, My overarching reason to not test is the popular adage, if you leave your children a world where you never stood up, they'll inherit a world where they can't. He says, of the type and the frequency of testing, can be forced as a condition of employment, while unilaterally changing contractual language with zero ratification or voting, then I guarantee that it will not stop there. In this culture of increased overreach and control, aimed at controlling every heartbeat, I will stand up for all Illinoisans 
willing to listen. And so um, this article in Western Journal said, this has never been about the vaccine itself. It's always been about the freedom of Americans to decide for themselves whether or not they want to receive it. Well, that's largely true. It's never been about the vaccine. It's been about control. It's been about identification. It's been about depopulation. It's been about profit. It's been about political power. And all of those things converge, don't they? They're all converging on this. Truckers and retailers are now joining forces to sue Biden over the vaccine mandate because it's also about taking everything from us, destroying our economic system, destroying our infrastructure, taking away our energy, taking away our food, freezing us in the winter, start, and, and you know killing people with heat in the summer. It's about every aspect of that. It converges. That, that system of forced poverty is how this medical dictatorship converges with the climate change. And then the system of repression, surveillance, identification, the draconian uh, big brother brutality, that's how it converges with 9-11. And so right there at the beginning, at the kickoff of all this, was dark winter. Truckers, retailers are joining forces to sue Biden over a vaccine mandate. They say, hey, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't work. Well, he knows that. <laughs> he knows that. He and his people know about iPencil. And uh, they know exactly how the system works. And that's how come they're so effective at destroying it. That's it for the broadcast. Thank you for listening. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com.